I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the movies of 1999 from our dimly lit indoor pools here in 2018. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I am Phil Iscove. And with us today, via <laughs> Skype, I wish that people could see what we're seeing right now, which is our guest frantically running around a hotel room I've got, I've on right, Skype. I've got coffee. Be- because he, oh, you may you may recognize that voice. That is Tom Eisen, the star Ichabod Crane, indeed, of Sleepy Hollow, indeed, and he's currently in Atlanta shooting a mystery project. Well, That's we right. can say it's been out there, right? We can say what you're in, can't we, Tom? Well, I mean, you found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom is uh, is going to be in uh, the HBO Watchmen pilot, and you know, oh, most likely series. If we're being oh honest. wait, that's what happened. Yeah. I thought those were two separate things. I didn't what? realize. I what? didn't realize, Tom. You <laughs> so let's put it this way: this I, is I've always known that Tom was shooting something in Atlanta, and also the fact that he was going to be in The Watchmen got uh, announced just a couple of days ago. Right. I thought that was forthcoming. I didn't realize that was being shot now. right now. Congratulations! That's so excited, Thanks exciting so for nerds like us. It is. I mean, I. Yeah, I. It was in a. I, I was in our writers' room when I heard this news, and I literally exclaimed and no one knew what the fuck was going on and i was like uh tom is gonna be in watchman what, what, what does that, that exclamation what does sound that mean? like i literally exclaimed well yeah, I, I, I went just... like holy shit oh all right i said it out loud an expletive it, uh, yeah well we're not yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah, a writer's no, room it's fine because you know? whatever you want mostly we are we have tom on t- today to talk about uh i mean it's one of the biggest films in 99 
Now, I wouldn't say maybe necessarily at the time. It was successful. But hindsight, people fucking love this movie. They, they love, love Cruel Intentions. Yeah. I am one of them. Tom, mm. we're, we're unsure as to Tom's. I'm very unsure. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Tom. I remember my... it fondly. I remember it fondly, but it's mainly the soundtrack. There's the soundtrack, yeah. and there are, like, two moments that I All right. Remember. So I'll do it. I will do this by the end of this podcast. I will raise your zero to 99 score, both of you, by at least 20 points. I have this movie figured out. I think it is one of the great movies How do you of know 1999. I'm not coming to it at 94. Well, because <laughs> if, if you gave it a 94 based on just the soundtrack, um, it is a really good soundtrack. It's a good it's soundtrack. A good uh, it's not my. It's not even in the top five things I love about this movie. And nothing against soundtrack, because I think it's brilliant, and I think it's perfectly done. Before we get into one of my favorite movies ever made, let's talk about uh, Tom. So, Tom, where were you in 1999? I was in, how old was I? 17. 17? 17 in a town called Woking, which is a suburban uh, kind of the commuter belt outside London. It Tom, I have, to, I have to cut you off. When I was se- when I was seventeen, I'm not fucking with you. I was in Woking, London. I mean, Woking, England. No, you weren't. I was. There's a re- there's a regional no, I, theater I'd there. I've known about it. There's a regional theater there, right? A, in a little shopping center. Yeah, the new Victoria Theater. Shut your I worked, mouth. I worked Shut your there. That, I worked there that same summer. <laughs> that you summer. You, oh, no, no, no. Mouth. I'm at, the only thing I'm lying about is the year. It was 2001, not 99. But I was there. I spent, I spent a month working in that theater in, uh, in 2001. Doing what? Doing – I was doing an internship for the Ambassadors Theater Group. No way. And – I was doing odd jobs, basically, so a lot and of it was like, literally tickets. Get, get this guy out of London. Put him in Woking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I did. <laughs> that's exactly right. They're like, we got, I know, but really, they were like, we got to get you out of oh, here. Oh, well, that cinema I in next door to the theater is where I watch most of the films that you've discussed. That is so crazy. It's a small no, world. That's crazy. No American knows Woking, so we've already <laughs> broken new ground here. Yeah, quite. Well, we're really opening everyone's eyes. So you can picture me coming out of the cinema having what? Well, that, that that exact place you're talking about looks a lot like um, any half indoor, half outdoor mall in like like 30 miles inland in California, more or yeah. less. So it really it's a very uh, very normal, average looking mall, and that's all I knew because the train went right there. I went right there. I went to the internship. I left back to London. Gambled. That is amazing. <laughs> So you, you, in 1999, would you say you spent the majority of your 99 in Woking? Woking. Woking, yes. my apologies. Woking, okay. yes, I did. Yeah. It was when I had, that's when I really made the decision that I was going to be an actor. It was about there. Really? Yeah. Was, was, there, wanted, a, was I, there a movie or a performance that kind of pushed you in that direction? Well, I wanted to before, but there was all, I never knew how. How do you even begin um and so there was always the what's your backup option gonna be what are you gonna like the school i was at when i said i want to be an actor they said yeah 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 great but really what do you want to do <laughs> <laughs> and so i'd say oh well i don't know uh, 
drama teacher? And they went, yeah, 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 really, but you're not teach material. What do you want to do? <laughs> and so I would, I would have really, I would have probably ended up uh, working at the Ambassador's Theatre, probably doing exactly what you were doing oh. in 2001. <laughs> throwing, throwing away all the flyers you're supposed to be handing out. But then I decided <laughs> it was uh, Young Frankenstein was the film that made me. Really? Oh, my God, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Which I probably watched for the first time around 98, 99. But that's I mean, that movie is, is, Young Frankenstein is a truly yeah. hilarious Gene movie. Wilder. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect movie. That's, yeah. kind of film, that's where you'd movie. watch all the actors in that and say, my God, they're having such a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do stuff like that anymore. Well, and also, I mean, people don't talk about the the sort of the filmmaking of that movie. The movie's beautifully made. Like yeah. that, that is a, a technically yeah. masterful movie. You know, it's, it's, Mel Brooks has said in many interviews that that was sort of the one he probably put the most effort into, like for, as a filmmaker, you yeah. know, in terms of, of, of being respectful to all of these classic horror movies. Yeah. Uh, he did a tremendous job. He did an amazing job. But that um, uh, shopping center that you said that the, uh, <laughs> the right. theater is in, there was a, a our price record sold, and it sold your CDs, but also there was a big VHS section. And you I think there get... was a video game section there too, because I went right. there every day at that lunch period and every... played Nintendo lunch period every day for lunch because I had no friends there <laughs> and just played the Nintendo that N64. they had for samples. Yeah, yeah, me that, too. That's that's we, incredible. You know what? We may have played. Wave Racer 64 against each other in that store right. in 2001. How crazy is that? Yeah. that's unbelievable. And then I would eat at the Burger King because mm-hmm. it was quick because then I can get more time on the video game. Living the dream. And then I would go back and sit at, I sit at this desk Mom. and learn about... But, all right, this is totally off topic, but because I have you, can you explain pantomime to me? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, that was that was fun. <laughs> I can it's, try. I, yeah, because I think because I think Phil probably thinks I'm talking about you know Marcel. Mar- Mar- that, that, Marcel. Is what I'm, that is what I'm thinking. It, yes, it, it's no. not. It's not man in a fake box. It's a different thing in especially these regional th- theaters in England. There but I never quite nothing, got it. Nothing like it. It's kind of all we've got left of old vaudeville style theater, and even before I that. See. Back to what was happening all the way back in Shakespeare's time in the way that the audience and the actors connected and joked with each other. Like, it's, I love pantomime. I love it. And the amount of amazing people I saw in the Woking New Victoria Theatre. Why did you make me get onto pantomime? Come on, Jesus. <laughs> because it was such a... Br- it, it, well, because there's an obvious connection so to cruel intentions. There's, there's always a, a dame... But so it's usually the mother of the hero who is always played by a man. The hero is almost always a man played by a woman. Uh, and then you'll have a comedy double act and they'll do the type of old vaudeville scenes like the, the uh, putting wallpaper up on a wall and it all goes hilariously <laughs> wrong. And then they sing songs. It's the most like joyous these, thing in the world. Big it's over the top joy. takes on Cinderella or or Aladdin. They're always doing some over the top, very British take. It happens during Christmas, but they're not Christmas themed, right? Yeah, that's right. It's 
because it, it, it was what the it's what the theater works towards all year. Uh-huh. It's like that's where they make their money all year. They sell this thing out, pantomime. Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, they're doing like you know touring companies of of the best plays in the world there that they get half houses for. Okay, this is okay. We got to talk we about are cruel so tensions. off topic. <laughs> um, um, so. My, Yes. Oh, the question I really also want to ask in light of what I sense is not overwhelming enthusiastic support for this movie is why did you pick it? I didn't pick it. <laughs> I didn't yes, you pick did. It. I have to stress this really early on. I, as soon as I listened to your first episode of Eyes Wide Shut, I emailed you, Phil, and said, mm-hmm. ha, 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 can't wait to hear you do Cruel Intentions. Ha, ha, ha. Now, if that's me picking it, well, I mean, listen, there were whether or not you were joking in your first email to me, which is quite possible that I misread it because you have a very dry sense of humor, Tom. It's quite possible that I misread it. But I also want to say you had numerous opportunities to pull the ripcord out of Cruel Intentions. And yet we're here now. How did we end up here? All of these many All right. Well, I'm going to put I'm going to put this. I'm just going to put this out there. This is not the cool attention pod that I was hoping for. <laughs> I was hoping for a love fest for one of the great movies, but if it's it, you know, if I walked in, if I walked into a to a fight, you're, can I'll I just be very do- clear about something yes, yes, here? Yes. I like Cruel Intentions. I texted you while rewatching it, saying that I enjoy the absurdity of this movie, and 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 we're going to get into all the things that I think are are wonderful and terrible about this movie. There's nothing terrible about this that's movie. just There's that's just nothing false. terrible about this movie. The, but we can uh, go. Pedophilic rape scene, maybe. Yeah. The P. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well. There's there's a questionable performance by Selma Blair to a certain extent. There is that that has some. I think awkward... she is brilliant in this. All right. I so, so do I. Which is what I said to you. I think she's brilliant. But, but she's playing a child. But that's on purpose. A, a, a mentally potentially. Yes, well, it's an over the top. It's an over the top characterization, specifically meant to um, contrast with the world of Sebastian and Catherine. Like it, just yeah, like, but she doesn't just have to, like, She's playing like the child of mind of a child, like a, a, a an infant. She's only supposed to be fifteen years 15. old. She's supposed to be. And she's so, supposed and to be. Summer Blair at the time was like what? Older than both of them. She's twenty seven. Yeah. But she's 15 years old. I mean, Sebastian's only supposed to be 17, and uh, it is a very bad moment for that character. Sure. But it needs to be stressed. We're not supposed to be rooting for him at that point. We're not supposed to be rooting for him most of this movie. It's we're debatable whether to- we should ever be rooting for him is, the, is sort of the thing that we're, I think, potentially Tom and I are saying. Well, there's a question, right? The question, is, the question isn't so he, – he, he dies in this movie. So the movie agrees with you. And he doesn't even die a hero or a martyr. He just dies in the in this movie, and he, through that, we are allowed to literally drive on to, off into the sunset with the actual hero of this movie. Well, he does get a hero's death. He does, you know, save Reese Witherspoon, and then he gets his very weird moment on the tarmac of "I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you," which, <laughs> you know, I mean, is that supposed to be the moment of redemption and everything? Is forgiven, including the pedophilic rape. No, 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 no not every, not everything. Right so not everything is forgiven because he's dead. One, so he loses. Two, we got to work on the on this term pedophilic rape. It's accurate. No, it's only accurate. If, he he spikes a drink. Pedophilic this, is the word. Pedophilic is the word that I'm. I'm. Is she not underage? Is he? He also is underage. So it's not as if he's like some thirty year old doing it. What's the age of consent there? 
here? Depends. In, in New York City, it's certainly well, it more does, than... It seven. does matter if both people are under the age of consent. It's not oh, statutory in, rape. In England, both. it's 16. So he would no, be it, over the age of consent. So really, we're coming at this from different... I'm coming at it as pedophilic rape. You're coming at it as, wow, two kids getting it on. I'm coming at it as I'm coming at it as a, a sexual sexually manipulative character sexually manipulating another character. I'm basically saying if you didn't see this coming with this character from the moment where they decided to bet on whether or not they could deflower certain characters, then I don't know why you were even well, comfortable going on the journey. I'm just I, I here's I want to sort of first of all we should rewind a little bit here. It's very nice and to just, meet you, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the start of a beautiful friendship. Well, I mean, you know, it's just I, like if this is going to be a conversation about the one scene where well, I don't, I don't think that. First and foremost, no, I think it should be said that it is. It's a big scene. It's a, it's a, it's a moral crossroads that the, that the film is at in that moment, mm -hmm. and I, I don't necessarily. I kept thinking in that scene about the similar scene in Dangerous Liaisons between John Malkovich and Uma Thurman mm -hmm. and how gross that also felt because he was a man. You know what I mean? He was a – I don't know how old we were supposed to believe Belmont to be in that, but in his 30s, I'm assuming. So, something like that, right? I think so. I think – and I think she was actually 17. Right. So I think she was – I'm reading this book right now. About the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. Sure. And she was uh, the runner-up for the Melanie Griffith role. And part of it was that she was only 19. Well, so I, the was, reason I bring this up is because before that. in some way, and I don't know why, and probably the period elements of it, 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 it feels palatable in some fucked up way within the context of Dangerous Liaison. Because there's a disconnect. Whereas, for sorry, go ahead. There's a disconnect for us. When something right. is is period, when it's modern day, it's the people around us, and it's far less palatable in a in a very twisted way. It shouldn't be forgiven because we right. see period costumes. But there's yeah, because sorry, go on, Phil. Yeah, no, I, I just I I feel as though it's worth sort of comparing those two things to a certain extent, and I and I think that. The the modernity of it, as as Tom just said, does make it feel somehow ickier. And, and grosser. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. I know you're, you're. No, I, I'm, I'm, because I'm not sitting here defending it yeah. uh, as a character choice. I'm defending it as a narrative choice, and I think that that's a. I think there's a big difference here. If we want to go and if, if if this happens all the time in our movies in '99, if we want to talk about the problematic aspects of it, and. Uh, basically say this movie is unwatchable because of that we couldn't have done our podcast on the mummy but you do have a classic <laughs> podcast by the way which is, which we, will be coming which up is quite tre soon. it's tremendous <clears throat> but the mummy is in in some respects problematic to the point where you can't defend it right we, we talk which parts of the mummy are you referring to the cultural sort of elements that's of that's the part that yes the yeah. cultural parts exactly sure. right um but you have to look at it in the context of the time it was made you also have to look at it in the context of the narrative piece and I think within this, within this, within the piece, context of this movie, it doesn't seem the brilliance of this movie to me is how mean and nasty and unforgiving and unforgivable yeah. these two characters are and unrelenting. So, do I think this would happen with this character? Absolutely. I also think it's really interesting um, the way 
I don't think the movie presents Sebastian as a hero until his hero's death, which I think is, you know, kind of, kind of a different way. But I do think mm-hmm. it presents a bad boy archetype as something that is irresistible to some people. And I think that's all by yeah. design, too. I, 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 I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. I think that what I walked away from this film with, and the reason that this scene kind of jumps out at you, or at least at me, is that it's I'm unclear as to the tone of the movie. Is yes, just yes, quite. it's it's right. It's it, it feels very uh, tongue in cheek for a lot of it because it feels like you've got these larger than life performances. You've got Roger Cumble who really seems to be leaning into the, as you said, the the villainous, over the top, horrible qualities of these characters. Right mm-hmm. to the point where it it borders into sort of almost parody, right? I mean, like Gossip Girl it basically into parody. I agree basically that. rips this off for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. Like Gossip Girl is this movie yeah. just turned into a series of books and then ultimately a TV series. I didn't, I didn't but, watch enough of Gossip Girl to really comment on But that. the reason I bring it up is because like, when scenes like this happen and the movie goes to places that are really sort of heavy, even the ending, like my issue with the ending truly is they kind of rush through it. Like his death happens so quickly and it, you would think that like that was kind of the end of the movie, but it isn't really because the, the whole death happens so quickly that you're not even really allowed the opportunity to, to digest it because the movie's not really interested in that stuff. Like the movie to me seems more interested in, or again, I don't want to speak for, for the director who hopefully at some point we might actually have on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool. And I'd love to hear him talk about that. But it's it's important to Absolutely. get your real thoughts out. No, no. So, I, so I, there's just a part of me that feels like he seems more interested in those scenes. And by those scenes, I mean the scenes where it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe in a room with the most sexual innuendo he can possibly put into a scene <laughs> and just have these two people basically like – I fuck each other for however many minutes and it's really enjoyable to watch because it's so over the top, but then it pivots into like really heavy shit. And I just, the, the vacillations in tone are tricky sometimes for me. Anyway. I don't think it's that heavy. Like, all right, so let's well, talk about what's, what, what, what's interesting is that, uh, before I rewatched it and I hadn't yeah. seen it since, you know, the turn of the century, I I didn't remember the the that scene with Selma Blair. I didn't remember the the effectively the rape scene. Right. Um it's only rewatching it as a 36-year-old man in 2018 that I think, oh my god, this is completely wrong. All I remember from watching it as a 17-year-old in 99 was all the girls fancied Ryan Philippe. <laughs> And the soundtrack was really great. I didn't, I didn't remember any of the darkness. And I remember what you were saying about these larger-than-life performances. And it's these two assholes who are all about shagging. And that's kind of it. I don't remember any of the times it got dark. Well, it, I, I think it's worth exploring that for a second, just in terms of how we felt watching the film in 99. Because the things that stayed with me in 99, uh, The Kiss with Blur's Coffee and TV in the background. Yeah. Uh, I remember the MTV placebo Awards, song at the uh, beginning. Kiss of the Year, that one. Yes, it was, the MTV Kiss of it the was, Year. It was, it was, because of the saliva string, I think. Yeah. 
I, I, and I remember and, and, you know, frequent, uh, person that we allude to Jan Katask. I went to see, I remember I saw this film with, I don't know who I saw it with the first time, but I went to see it and in the cinema, in the cinema. And I thought it was hilarious. Like I thought it was really funny. Whether or not that's intentional or not, I left the film being like, this is a parody. This is funny. And I thought it was so funny, in fact, and I enjoyed it so much that I told Jan, we should go and see it. And he went on a, I, don't, I still to this day don't understand how I became the third wheel on a date that he went on to see Cruel Intentions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me so was- happy, Bill. <laughs> And I remember them? <laughs> wearing the T-shirt that Selma Bear wears with the koala. <laughs> if only I, but I remember about 20 minutes into the film thinking to myself, oh, I really shouldn't be here right now. Like, it's not a film that you like as a date. I, I don't I, I thought it was funny. Like the point I'm trying to make here is my total miscalculation and maybe even misreading of the film led me to a second screening of it on a date and it was intensely awkward and I really didn't want to be there by the end of it. Well, because I I think that there's an element uh, and I, I, I think this all falls into the box of misreading the movie through a 2018 lens. And I know that wasn't in 2018 when you went there, but I think that sitting next to a girl Uh who you either cared about or were interested in caring about right she was date, potentially dating your friend so you you cared what she thought right sure. to some extent i mean yeah it feels misogynist it feels deeply misogynist yeah right yes but it's not so that's the thing it's like it's not deep it's not deeply misogynist but i don't think that's why i felt awkward i felt awkward because i was watching a movie that was just about a bunch of teens fucking and i was on a Date, uh, a third wheel date. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that doesn't bother me at all. Well, okay. <laughs> that would no. That wouldn't. Even, you would have been great in that, this. Well, <laughs> no. You. I mean, sitting in your seat, I wouldn't have enjoyed that. I, I wouldn't have put myself in that position. But um, that, that's uh, the misogyny of it. As much as I'm sure I was somewhat aware of it at 19, was not the thing that made me uncomfortable in that moment. We should talk. It was about sitting the on movie. someone else's date, watching Frottage for two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, what? That's what was. What, what was the word? Frottage. Oh. I thought oh, I'd go trash. French in on on in honor of Lydia This is the, I got to tell you this is this is not going to be popular among our audience. <laughs> this is I no I'm I'm serious. I I'm I'm totally thrown by this. The the I I feel like the the pers- it's not the perspective. It's it's kind of the the eyeline you're you're coming into this movie with is very different from where I'm looking at this movie. I watched this movie from where you were watching it in '99. No, right now. Okay. I watched this movie with a giant smile on my face, enjoying every scene in this movie. So into the characters, I think these characters are so well drawn and so well acted mm-hmm. that um, they can have three, four, or five minute scenes yeah. in a room with four walls with two characters, and I don't get bored. And that yes, is so I'll, unusual in a movie. I, I, and, I, I, I th- and, and I think there's a lot about the creation of this movie that we should talk about that um, almost to me almost shouldn't possibly lead to a movie this, in my opinion, incredible. 
Well, okay. I mean, I, 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 I want to sort of... Sorry, go ahead, Going, Tom, going I, back yeah. to when you first saw it, because I just... And it's interesting with misogyny, because every single girl I knew back then loved the film. I didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it whenever a group of us would go around to someone's house. It was a girl's house. The movie would be on in the background. It would just be the film that we put on in the background, and it would always be there. I think, in fact, when I rewatched it, it might have been the first time in my life I've seen it from start to finish in one sitting, because it was always just there, and you'd catch a bit, and you go, "Oh my god, look, here's the kiss bit," and and all the girls would squeal at the uh, the really sinister elevator uh, escalator bit. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, we should, uh, we should talk about I, why that you know, might everyone be. Everyone loved it. Every girl loved it. And it wasn't a film that boys were, uh, uh, that was on, that the boys begrudged it being on. That's weird. Yeah. It was, it was like, my wife put it brilliantly. Charlotte said it was, it was naughty to watch. It was the one that, that, it you, was. that yeah. you'd put it on was. when the door was closed and your parents were elsewhere. It was a little bit I like a step it, beyond. I approached uh, this with such strong, beautiful nostalgia for late teens because, in almost more than any other film from '99, that was the one that defined the year because it it was just constant and the soundtrack. Well, I, th- I yeah, well, I, th- I mean that that I think is partially um, has to the do girl, geographically. The girls had the VHS and it was always on, and the boys stared in the uh, soundtrack. We all had the. I think there's I, I, I just to unpack really quickly because I do think that the the, the naughty part mm-hmm. of it is a big part of it, I, I, and I want to unpack with with some of the things you were just saying too. I, I'm not just to be clear, like I'm not deriding this movie. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching it again. We got different things out of it in terms of why you enjoy it versus why I enjoy it. I, I think that the film is intentionally taking the piss out of itself. I think that well, I, and I and it I can do two things. I'm not saying it can't, but 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 let me. But I think that's the brilliance of this. I think the brilliance of this is the the narrative and the characters um, and the emotion of this movie are so strong and in the right place that at the end you're not to me at least, and this is might be a big difference. At the end, I I I enjoy all the satiric elements sure. throughout the movie very much. This entire Sean Patrick. What's his last name? Uh, Sean Patrick Thomas? Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. This entire Sean Patrick Thomas um, storyline up until the end is a direct satire on middle class – I'm sorry, on, on upper class elite white covert racism. Yeah. It's right there and that's meant that's not meant to be um, anything other than a very surface level, surface level commentary – on type type of people are in this movie, and I think that's throughout. I think that's that's. But to your original point, thread, that you just thread. said just two seconds ago, like satire can do that. So mm-hmm. the fact that I watch the film and see it through the lens of satire doesn't, in any way, shape, or form, take away from my enjoyment of the film. Sure. Nor does it. Nor does it, by the way, seem as though I'm I'm shitting on it. Like I I commend the satire of it. I commend the way that 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 he is deconstructing these evil mustache twirling asshole teenagers in the moment. The difference between what, okay. what I'm sort of coming from is more like, I, I, you don't think the emotion is there. 
I think that this film, and I think I texted this to you when I finished watching it. I actually think this film could stand to be about 10 or 15 minutes longer. Agreed. I think that I this. I never, ever normally say that, but I agree. I think it, the it, important it, moments, the important corners that the characters exactly. need to turn are glossed over for the sake of I, the. I, I actually don't. I don't disagree with that either. It's it's it is, and and but part of that specifically with the Ryan Felipe and Reese Witherspoon relationship. If you break down their relationship, and again, I might just not be asking that much from this movie, except except for to. I think it sticks all of its landings throughout. But if you really break down the relationship, they meet on day one. He's kind of rude to her, or quite rude to her on day two. On day three, they go on another date where. He's almost, you know, uh, inexplicably thrown into this charitable situation where she sees some humanity. And that's day three, day four, they have sex, day five, they break up. That's the whole entirety of their relationship. Uh So I feel you that there there could have been a fucking montage there, you know, just something. Something Because the jump that happens from her saying fuck off and die to making funny faces at him in the car and falling in love with him. There, there's just no bridge there. Well, it just, I was, it I just was happens. trying to work out the moment that it changes for her because for him, it's the weird scene, pulling faces at him is all, all you need to change this. But for her, the only place I could see it was quite early on and it's the swimming pool scene. So, yeah, it's the pool scene. And mm-hmm. the single moment is when he gives her the present. He gives her a bag with her name yeah. written on it. And that's enough for her to go against her lifelong religious belief to cheat on poor Trevor, her boyfriend who's off in the other side of the world, just because you gave her a fucking bag with her name on it. That's misogyny. That's... <laughs> But, but let me ask you, I want to ask you this, Tom, because I actually, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, because this, this to me feels like, this is, again, the period versus modern. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Well, if yes, this was, I've been thinking about this a lot. This movie's 20 years old, too. So let's, I mean, we, but I, when I say period, I, I mean dangerously. I get that, but we keep talking about it through the lens of 2018. Yeah, okay, that does, that, that might feel a little misogynistic right now, and you wouldn't write the character that way right now, but... 20 years ago, I I don't think there was any issue buying this. I don't think there's any issue buying that these two fell in love this quickly. Reese Witherspoon is in a situation she's never been in before. She's in a in world she's never been in before. And what she also did, and I can't really I can't really express how profound I think this is for a person to do. She tamed him. And this guy was untamable. So taming this guy, I think, means a lot to a person. I mean, yes. But, but she but, falls I, for yeah. him before she tames him. I'm sorry? She falls for him before she tames him. She falls for she him softens on she him doesn't see redemption down the line. No, I, I think she softens on him there. I don't think she falls for him. But I, 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 do think that the, I do think that is the first beat that kind of turns it. I agree with that. I mean, I, I, this, I, <laughs> there's a part of me that was like, if, if I saw this in a play... In a Shakespeare play, for instance, like hearing you talk about these, the, I hear the, what you're the, the archetypes and the things that, and the moves, I think all of those moves, if it took place a hundred years ago, I'd be like, sure. It's the fact that this takes place in 1999 and that it, it, it doesn't, you need a little more there. Well, I think like you just, it needs to be nuanced. All right, so I think this bit. is, I think this is kind of like where I come down on this movie all, okay. all in. 
and why I keep going back to the emotion was right. Okay. Because the emotion was right. All right. So I do think that there are a lot, uh, there, there are a lot of elements in this movie, mm-hmm. such as exactly what we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. that aren't perfect and aren't perfect, you know, in terms of narrative, narrative structure. Sure. But maybe this is because they were a couple, a couple in real life. And maybe this is because Catherine was so horrible. And maybe because I think Ryan Felipe gives an incredible performance going from the most despicable guy to someone who I actually believe is in love with Reese Witherspoon. But the, the emotional journey for this character is in the right place. To the point where I really didn't want him to die at the end. Here, well, I can't, I can't say that about, that about most characters in movies. Here's what I will say. And I... I I can't explain why I feel this way, and I, I, I suspect Tom doesn't agree, is I agree that I believed he was in love with her at the end. Now, why isn't there? Like, I'm not sure that I can actually pinpoint pulling faces a reason. Isn't, Sorry, go to Pulling faces isn't enough. And he says, it, he says to Sarah Mich- to Catherine, he made me laugh. No. I don't know. <laughs> I like. I get. The, I get the argument, but I also remember what it's like to be seventeen. But also, I get that it's so, you know she's. They're both from different worlds, and they both see something. I, maybe she sees something appealing in his world. Uh, the the danger of, and he maybe sees something in the virtuous world that she's from. That they they both can balance each other out, but we don't see any of. There is um, – I, I do think the nastiest element of this movie, the element that I, I will – that I'm, I have trouble writing for is the uh, the virgin horror corollary there, right? Yeah. The Madonna and the horror. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Madonna and the horror. Um, it's very clear that, that this movie does seem to have some issues with morality. Now it also stands to be you know, argued – that Sarah Michelle Geller has a pretty powerful defense of her hoariness yeah, in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, and that was before people were making that argument, certainly before like 17-year-olds were making that argument. So it does – It. I don't know. I think that – I think in that respect, certainly with Catherine's character, like it was very forward-thinking. I think Reese's character was, was pretty progressive too um, and pretty forward-thinking. I, I, just to be clear, I don't. I don't think that the film – isn't forward thinking. I think it just stumbles sometimes. And maybe that is a symptom of the time. And maybe that's a symptom of, I don't know. There could be, it could be a symptom of a bunch of things. As, as both of you were talking just now, I kind of in my head went through all the teen movies that Kenny and I have so far covered in 1999. Mm -hmm. And the spectrum is tremendous. Really is. It really, really is. And I think that looking at this film, I was trying to think like, what is, what's the best teen drama that we've covered thus far? And I think it's, I mean, I'm going to speak for myself, but I think it's probably The Virgin Suicides thus far. Well, there's so few great teen dramas, sure. period. No, I know that, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to like this this movie, what this movie does incredibly well. So weird. Is that it's it stakes a claim on a very interesting, weird sort of sliver of the spectrum of teen dramas, if you will. A fi- like it's, it's, it's filmmaking. Sure. Right? There's narr- nothing like narrative. this. Yeah, because that I agree. I could. I, you, you know the way I feel about Virgin Suicides, but I would never like even consider comparing these two. No. 
except except that they're two movies that I would compare any two movies. But well, they're I, like this just isn't a drama in that way. This is it's just, it's just it's, it's it's aspiring to something very different. I, the only reason I brought it up is because in my head I was like Ryan Felipe and Josh Artnett. I was thinking about these two guys and how they perceive women. And I think that both of them perceive them as conquests in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, as opposed to actual people. And I think that both of them fall hook, line, and sinker for women that they probably don't completely understand. That's interesting. And I think that that's a compelling corollary between these two movies. Um, and and obviously, Virgin Suicides is much more, you know, it's dreamlike and it's it's doing totally different it's things. Inspiring it's inspiring to something it's a, so that's much that's a grown up film. That's a grown up film about teenagers. Whereas and I think, that that, I think that's a very too. important point. This, you, Your you point, know, Tom, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about it, and the, uh, the first two other films that came to mind were the one with Freddie Prince Jr., and She's All That, and uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. Sure. Uh, the two obvious ones, and also they're, two, also they're modern adaptations of classics. Oh, that's but, true. That's true. I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. crazy. But this one... All intentions is completely different, and I read somewhere that um, Campbell uh, was inspired by Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I think is, which uh, he said it was showing kids in a way that they'd never been shown before, and he wanted to do the same thing. And I think, yeah, he, he, he definitely. There's a quote that. I have from him where he said that he had never seen anything like it. So dark, fucked up high school. It quickly led him to the thought of updating Dangerous Liaisons to be set in a high school, which I strongly think is one of the most brilliant little eureka moments in film history said it like because our welcome to the dollhouse is an unbelievable movie yeah and i know some people think it's funny i think it's just crushingly depressing throughout the entire movie (laughs) and i don't mean that in a bad way but just crushingly depressing that people actually have to endure that that kind of childhood Mm -hmm. um this movie i think is I think the villains are in the right place. It's nothing but it's punching up at the at the people who are living at the who are living in the penthouse. Um, also, I've known people certainly like Sebastian. I've known people who would park their cars in front of their buildings, walk into the building, and the doorman's like, "What the fuck?" and he waves them off. I've seen these people, and like they're the most deplorable humans in the entire world, yeah. and they're the perfect. A guy like that is a perfect villain. I really think we should get into like yeah, let's well, the context. Yeah. I, I, well, hold on, let's, but I mean, I mean, obviously, like I love this movie, and and I can't wait to keep talking about it. And I it's actually great that I'll, someone has a different perspective. The, the, Sorry, go ahead, Tom. With that, there are two points that I'd make. One, setting it in this place for someone in just outside London, it was incredibly exotic. Uh, I'd never been to New York before, and seeing the the wealthy socialites of the Upper East Side. It wasn't, there weren't people I wanted to hang around with, but it was, it was so new. It was so different yeah. and exciting. But I think setting uh, dangerous liaisons in a high school is, I think that's an error. I think that's the fundamental error that I, I can't get over watching it now, knowing dangerous liaisons. And it's because of, it's mainly because of reputation. The whole thing is about reputation. And in Dangerous Liaisons, it's your entire life. It's the court, the French court. And if mm-hmm. you lose your reputation, 
that's your entire life done and you're out of the court and you're destined. Whereas the high schoolers, well, I mean, we'll get to it when we get uh, through the film. Reputation doesn't mean the same thing and you're leaving at the end of next year, so it doesn't really matter. And then you go off to college and you start a new life and you build a new reputation. I don't think it's as important to these people as it was in the original. That's certainly a true point, right? It's certainly true that if you, if you stack these two people, these two groups of characters up, what are, you know, the dangerous liaisons group are fully grown adults and this is the it. This is it for them. This is the end. I get that. I'm just a, and, and, you know, Which I think that, all, and, and I only say that because towards the end of Cruel Intentions, the word reputation comes up more and more and more. And that's what the finale is all about, destroying reputations. But in a year's time, but, uh, no one's going to give a shit. That's fair, but I just want to make yeah, one yeah, more point sorry, on this reputation sorry. thing and high school stuff in general. I'm always of the opinion that um, when I was in high school, nothing else mattered but my day-to-day. And everything I did was the most important thing I was ever going to do. And I always loved um, specifically – Lee's portrayal of high school in that respect and Friday Night Lights' portrayal of high school in that respect. That this is potentially the most important – well, for, for them in that moment, it is the most important thing and in their lives. Like it is potentially the most important thing they're ever going to do. So uh, I have no problem buying that as – as character motivation in this movie. for these I actually characters. want to ask you a question, Tom, because I'm wondering if there's a little bit of a, a cultural uh, gap here. And I say that in the sense that, yeah. I, and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but high school in North America is sort of the end all and be all. It, it, and, and I think that it's also perpetuated through media, through movies, uh, that there is this, this quality, this, this sort of, uh, commodification if you will of those years of your life that i don't necessarily and i don't know the answer to this but it might not be the same on your hemisphere um so i i and i don't say that in obviously not in a derogatory way but it does make me wonder whether or not the high school experience is the same or was the same for you certainly different so you're right that maybe there's a, a cultural uh barrier in understanding the motivation here. Because, you know, we watch any film set in a high school and we see the the standard tropes. We don't really have those tropes, those groups in uh, schools in in Britain. Uh, We don't really... I was thinking particularly with the the jock in this... Was it Greg? Yeah, Yeah, the Gregster. The Gregster. And the scene of him... (laughs) And he's with his two other... Jock lads talking about talking about chicks, and I'm like, yeah, that's such yeah, a fucking chicks. That's what we do. Does that actually happen? Do these people uh, really exist? Uh, and they probably that do. definitely happened in the '90s, and I don't know if it would still happen because I don't know if people talk about talk that way anymore. But in the '90s, that those conversations happened all the time. I'm, I also want to say too, and this is kind of to, to reiterate my point a little bit, but. There is this perpetuating of stereotypes and of this kind of fantasy of the high school experience that is in movies and it is in television shows. Mm-hmm. And the reason that a show like Glee or Friday Night Lights pops or My So-Called Life or you know Dawson's Creek, the list is long of great teen shows that actually kind of tried 
to really do a deep dive into the high school experience here. Uh, but something like this movie where you're just like, this actually, weirdly, I don't really see this as a high school movie. No, it's, no. it's really it's not. It's like a boarding school show. Not even that. And the whole thing takes the whole thing takes place over the summer. You don't see any of their peers until the very end. Yeah. Which, yeah, the whole thing yeah. takes place over the, over a summer between junior right. and senior year for our two our two leads. Um, and they're concerned about going into their senior year with the most momentum possible. Momentum. Yeah, no, seriously. You know what it means. They, they're concerned about going in and maintaining their, their reputation at the highest levels. They're, they want to be the king and the queen of school. Right. And I, I, I personally, I think that's that's totally relatable. I totally believe it. Sorry, Tom, we didn't hear you there. What was that? I couldn't get what their reputation is at the school. Because the reputation that they try to uphold at the school her of being the the very good religious girl and the prime student is at odds with who she is outside of school. But you don't see people, any of her classmates. I assume that everyone must know what she's like. Everyone must know at school that she's not this time. And to me, that's what would make her cool. If everyone knew that she was sleeping around and proud of it, and she was hiding coke in a fucking crucifix <laughs> and then would go to school and all of the teachers would be fawning all over her. That's cool. I don't know what that says wool- about you, but I think that's she's amazing. pulled the wool over their eyes. She's pulled the wool over the grown-ups' eyes. She's winning. She gets to do what she likes and she gets the, you know, the teachers to think she's great. Now, but she, but she, she, she does do that because she, yeah, but she does, she, but no, she is that thing because think she is. Yeah. Uh, well, she her, sleeps around, so you can't sleep around anonymously. So at the very least, we know that she sleeps around and she's a party girl, and she always wins. So then, why so I, is it such a, a surprise when his journal is released to the school? Because they know well, they know everything that's in there. They don't know that she's pulling the strings. They don't know how manipulative she is. They don't know that she's placing bets on girls. It's one thing to know that she's like, you know, the coolest, hottest chick in the school. It's another thing to find out, oh, the coolest, hottest chick in the school has been manipulating all of us for years. Um, I, I, I hear both sides of this. I, I mean, and, and I think that I think I think you're both making very interesting points. The thing that I kind of took away from this, too, is and I never saw well, they, they tried to make a Cruel Intentions TV show. Um, ultimately, with, it was with, with Roger Crumble Com- yes. and Amy Adams yes, in the role of. This. Oh, you're yeah. talking about years ago. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, because because they, 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 they tried first, two years yes. ago too. It was her first gig, I think. Uh, well, her first gig was actually dropped at Gorgeous, which we covered a couple weeks ago, and that movie is fucking I think, fantastic. I, I'm, it is. But they, oh, Drop to Gorge is amazing. Yeah. But she's, but I, but she, yes, she was, she was cast in a cast. She was cast in the, and they shot yes. a pilot and then they made the pilot a direct to video movie because it didn't go to series. It's like Cruel Intentions 2, I think. Right. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I think that a lot of the stuff you're talking about, Tom, is better in a show than it is in a movie. Like really kind of doing that deep dive into the character and stepping it out and being able to sort of show. All the stuff you're talking that devious quality. She's great in this movie. I'm not taking anything away from the way the character is written or, or performed in this movie. I think she's terrific yeah. in it. Yeah, she's tremendous. I'm, I'm speaking more to the fact that I actually do think this would make a great show. And I mean, I guess some might say it was and it was Gossip Girl. But I do think that 
it's, it's such, such a great petri, petri dish. It's such a great, great sandbox. I wonder, and I wonder whether or not we, the, the movie does real justice to what it could do to the world, to the characters. And I, I would, as much as I love the movie, it's weird because normally I tend to agree with that take, you know, but, um, They've tried twice. They failed twice. And I have a hard – I mean let's even assume we use different characters, right? Because I don't like necessarily the, ver- the, the version where you're trying to recreate these roles, these iconic roles. Or where Sarah Michelle's – Michelle Gellar is still in it playing herself 20 years later, which was this last version. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. She was playing Catherine 20 years later. You didn't see it because it didn't come out. It was a pilot. All right. It was a failed pilot at NBC. But – um. Even, Even with, with different, different characters, characters, I maintain the beauty and brilliance of this movie is how unrelentingly terrible these two characters are. And I just don't know how you can keep that going on TV. No, you know, Dallas did it for nine years of JR. Because it's possible. You really have to commit to it. And that's, and that's actually – that's why I love this movie so much is because it committed to some to, to doing a lot of things that I would never have had the guts to do. Oh, I, I – and, I, and I, if I haven't been clear about this, this movie has gigantic balls to do what it's doing. It is taking huge swings, and it connects with a lot of them for me. Um, let's uh, give context to this film 53 minutes into this episode and explain what this – No, what are you apologizing for? 53, 53 minutes is pretty – this is early, I think. <laughs> generally, generally, we're like at hour 15. We're like, all right, so some context. Yeah. Uh, so the synopsis, Cruel Intentions, uh, Annette, played by Reese Witherspoon, unwittingly becomes a pawn in Sebastian and Catherine, Sebastian, played by Ryan Felipe, and Catherine, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar's deliciously diabolical wager of sexual conquest when she writes an article in Seventeen magazine about how she intends to stay pure until she marries her boyfriend. However, Sebastian gets more than he bargained for as he attempts to woo Annette into bed. It's- that's sort of kind yeah. of – it's fine. It's kind of the logline. Uh, Cruel Intentions <laughs> opened on March 5th, 1999 in second place to analyze this uh, with $13 million and would go on to make $75 million worldwide on a $10.5 million budget. I mean that's probably a – that's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean – That's a big multiple. What's that work out to probably 150 today? Oh, yeah. About that. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Uh, Cruel Intentions has 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. which makes sense but back then. 81% audience. Yes. The audience yes, really true. dig it a lot more than... What, what, what was the number? 81. 81. I, yeah. I don't know if it would have particularly done better with critics today because it, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's winking enough um, for critics today. I think critics today would have had a, a big problem with a lot of the morality in this movie uh, without also kind of overtly taking the piss out of it. I think I think I think I agree with you insofar as I think that your classic critics, your New York Times and your what have you's, would not get it. I think the online world would fucking love this movie. I think that you know yeah, I think are, that I, I think that the yeah. blogosphere and Twitter and I, I think that this so I, I do think that there's a little bit of this movie being maybe too forward thinking in some ways. Uh, for its time, which is, again, why I think – I mean, I did a fair amount of research before we obviously did this, and there are so many fucking articles about this movie online. It's crazy. You've got every single publication. They do, it's, you, there's articles in Cosmo. There's articles in Bustle. There's articles on the Huffington Post. I mean, there are people constantly – I mean, David Sims did a great article in The Atlantic about it. It's, you know, it's a movie that feels perennial. 
It feels like a movie that mm-hmm. people are constantly going back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 there's there's power in that. That's a, that's an impressive thing. Um, well, I think I, a lot is because it's nasty, and yeah. it's good, and those are two really hard things to do in the same movie. I mean, Dangerous Liaisons did it, yeah. and it's really I can't think of a lot of movies that that marry nasty and quality. Yeah, and I think like I mean, I really want to get into kind of the, the filmmaking of this movie because this movie was supposed to be a low budget indie. Yeah, and then Columbia Pictures, for whatever reason, came and gave him some more money. Yep, uh, it has the feel of, to me, of direct to video. Yeah, um, and I, it, in in its own weird way, that plays very well for me. Of those late night, it's not. I'm not pitching Skinamax here, but yeah. these like these movies you'd watch over and over again on on Cinemax or HBO that just were like a little nasty, a little dirty, but like very low quality, you know, kind of production design and nothing particularly interesting about the shots and the, the I don't op- know if I would agree with you on that. I actually think this movie's surprisingly well shot. I, I mean, I think this movie has more of an eye behind it than I was expecting it to. That's great. And I say that, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, whether you are one for visual metaphors or not, but the fact that this movie opens with that great placebo track over this helicopter shot over a cemetery, you know, then into New York City. I mean, I like those shots. That's, that's a that's a perfect way for this fucking movie to open. You know, what's interesting about it is they, they very clearly to me um, use their money wisely and carefully. Yeah, because so yeah. much of this movie takes place inside in one room with probably two cameras set up and long takes. Yeah. I mean, that last bathroom shot, bathroom scene, which is the best, is one take, right? Mm-hmm. One shot in the mirror. That I think for scenes like the big church scene or these helicopter shots you're talking about, they really did open up the checkbooks for those. Well, and and to your point, and now that I'm sort of going through it in my head again. It does pick its exteriors incredibly well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shot in Central Park where they do the kiss scene. Yeah. They, it's, yes. It is, you know what I mean? It's the money of those big, wide shots of Central Park. It's fantastic. I completely agree. Exteriors, it's all beautiful. Then they go inside and everything's brown. This, <laughs> it really struck me how brown this film is. Uh, I don't know about that, but okay. It's. I mean, I, I do, to your point, Tom, I've found that... I don't know if everything felt very beige and brown around this time. Like, I do feel like it was a palette choice that I've been surprised. It's, it's basic. It's it's not, it's not particularly interesting. I totally agree with that. Um, And I I do think that there, there, it is brown, but at times it's very Gothic. Like it has this, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, which I like. And then you have her bright blue room and his bright red room and it separates them from, I, I do like that, but it separates them and their personal space from the brownness of everything else. But it's not, and it, I, it's not used enough to become uh, a motif throughout the film. It really is and I, in those rooms. I think, uh, I think the, the blue and the brown and the red room, I like that observation because I also think it speaks to what I think works about this movie so well, which is um, simple is better. Right? right, there's, there's so, so many, many fireworks, fireworks going on in this movie in terms of tone, in terms of some uh, character decisions. That when you can do something simply, like put her in a, in a, you know, in that, in that blue room that almost looked like it was out of Dangerous Liaisons, put him in the Devil's Lair, where he's like explicitly calling himself the Devil, 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, or even things like just their little moments, like right after Selma Blair has sex with uh, Ryan Felipe, she's eating a bowl of cherries. Just little. Subtle. Yeah, that's right. That's what I mean. Just little things like that where you're, where, where if you pick up on it, you're like, oh shit. Like, look at what you're doing here. Oh, the movie is a hundred percent aware of itself. I am oh, yeah. at with any point moment, suggesting it's with the cherries. I just imagined Cumble sitting at his typewriter going, this is going to be great. He's just lost. He, that, well, I think he probably put, I, guys, I think what he probably was cherry. thinking is this is never going to make it in the final cut. Right? Like, I put shit like that in, in scripts and be like, someone's going to stop me. You know, like, yeah, no one stopped him. But I love that. Like, I love what, shit like I that. I wish there was more of that in this film. Yeah. I don't think there is I, enough. You know, and I think that goes back to what Phil said earlier that it's not balanced enough. But there's I also think there's something. So, and another it, it example of that, which is just really like the, the best. But the, another yeah, example of that, which is uh, her fucking koala bear shirt, the entire. She's sitting there the whole time in this koala bear shirt, only for the down under joke. That's the only reason she's wearing this shirt. And it's like, to me, like, it's like, oh, what what, what a lovely surprise, this ridiculous shirt. You did it just for this ridiculous joke? I I love it. I'm completely honest when I say I saw that shirt, loved it, and I thought, please, no one mention the shirt. I just wanted to. Oh, be no, but but I but I love that they made. I love that they did it for 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 kind of a lame joke. I feel like because I, I that shirt is so crazy that like I'm just sitting there being like that shirt is so crazy. Who would wear that fucking shirt? It reminds me a little bit, even though this is scripted and that wasn't of the ten things I hate about you, uh, Alice and Janie cat moment. Yeah, um, where it's just this like weird little thing, but but it's important to me. That Sebastian makes the joke in front of Christine Baranski to establish how much these two people hate each other. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I can't disagree with that. I do think that. I mean, you love you love the koala shirt, don't you? Wish that there were more things like that in the movie. I think I think some of Philip Blair's entire character is a koala shirt. So I think, and I think that's what I think that's basically her her. What I, I think she's in a di- and I don't mean this in a bad way. Normally, I mean this in a bad way, but I don't mean this in a bad way. I think she's in a different movie, and I think Reese is in a different movie, and I, and I love them for it because if they knew the if they knew the movie they were in, they'd run away. You know, so it's almost like they needed to be manipulated to be in this movie. You know, it's I mean, also the characters, not the actors. It's interesting to think about, and I, I I don't want to beat a dead horse in terms of the comparisons to Dangerous Liaisons, but you know, the movie obviously begs it. But like John Malkovich. Glenn Close, Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman. And to think about what the contemporary version of that is, it's actually kind of fitting. Do you know what I mean? Like I look at – like Glenn Close is so gleefully awful in Dangerous Liaisons. And and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar feels almost like her daughter, like an evil offspring of that character. It is very interesting how he is sort of – incredibly – there's such beautiful sadness. In yes. moments of hers, which I don't think Sarah Michelle could have brought to this film because this isn't mm-hmm. a film to show that. A hundred percent. A lot yeah, of totally that different. also comes from, and I, I think this speaks to your earlier point. Um, that's the that's the the wisdom of a life lived, and Sarah Michelle Geller is just a like a a 
baby deer trying out her evil legs for the first time here. I don't think she can have that self-reflection. I think the end of the movie is... Is, is, that's kind of the point. I don't think, and also to be to be fair to Cruel Intentions, I don't think it is clearly is not striving for what Stephen Frears was doing with with Dangerous Liaison. I mean, d- drastically dissimilar in terms of what they were attempting to do. I, I was merely bringing it up just to see sort of how, like, I look at Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons, and she's fantastic, and I think that Reese Witherspoon is quite good in this movie as well. Uh, I, I think that there's just interesting parallels and mirrors to be seen, and, I, and there's no question that I can I would assume that Roger Cumble watched Dangerous Liaisons and and was it you know inspired and found ways to sort of infuse elements of that into this movie. Well, interestingly, um, Dangerous Liaisons starts with an extreme close-up of uh, Glenn Close's face, and uh, this after the helicopter shot starts with an extreme close-up of. Ryan Felipe's face upside down. Yeah, right. And the opening sequence of Dangerous Liaisons is so brilliant. And it's uh, Valmont and Matoy being dressed by their army of servants. And you see them become the character that we will see through the film. And immediately you know that everything terrible that's going to happen is because of the characters they have to become in this society. Whereas in Cruel Intentions, it's it's the complete opposite because you first see Felipe in a therapist's room, so it's him presenting himself. So Dangerous Liaisons, they're created by the outside world. This, he's bringing himself to the outside world. So they're starting from very different points. And... I think occasionally that's to the detriment of cruel intentions because it separates Felipe and Sarah Michelle Geller from the world around them, which is why it's then difficult for the whole reputation thing to land for me. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think that there's something also, I mean, not and to you know, I don't, get into... I don't want to compare it to another film because that's a terrible thing to do, but I'm going to. <laughs> I think we've crossed that threshold already. Rubicon. I mean, I, 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 and I didn't mean to bring up the comparisons of the two films because I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair for a number of reasons. The biggest one being that just I think they're trying to do very, very different things. Um, so, but I, I, I do think that you know, obviously, same source material. But that being said, uh, you want to talk about? Is there any other sort of filmmaking stuff you want to talk about? No, let's uh, you say that. I mean, I wanted disdain, Phil. <laughs> no, I didn't you mean to at all. I, you know, <laughs> part of I think the problem because I've been reading a little bit of stuff about how people interpret our dynamic, and just I think the that, one comment, right? Well, um, I've seen a couple other things more now? on Twitter and what have you. Yeah, I haven't. Oh shit! Well, no, no. no I, I think that it's possible that I sound more patronizing than I actually am. I don't know. Maybe it's also true. possible that you're more patronizing than you think. <laughs> well, <laughs> these two things are both possible. It is possible. Um, no, I have nothing else to say about the filmmaking. Uh, and I don't really have much to say uh, about anything else right now. I think we should get into... I, I think that... Um, unless there's something else you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I just... I want to touch on just... A couple little trivia type things that I think are interesting. Columbia Pictures wanted Katie Holmes to play Annette, but Roger Cumble didn't think she had enough strength for the character, for the like that she embodied the same strength that uh, um, 
obviously he thought Reese Witherspoon had and does have in the film. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Ryan Felipe brought up Reese Witherspoon. That's how she got cast. Uh, I love the fact that this film was originally called Cruel Inventions. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, but test audiences thought it sounded like a sci-fi film, so they changed it. That just sounds like it was someone made an accident, and then they just forgot to change it. <laughs> Cruel Inventions makes no sense either. Uh, I also love that the IMDb plot keywords on the website are seduction, incest, bet, virgin, betrayal. Brilliant. Which I think are all, are yeah, all perfect. accurate. Yeah. Uh, That's like the taboo card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh Let's get into the plot. You ready to dive in? Yeah. Okay. For sure. You know, uh, just, just, uh, as well as Katie Holmes, Vanessa Shaw was also. Uh, oh, that's interesting for that part. Uh, and she's great. In, yeah, in Eyes Wide Shut, she's great. And Hocus Pocus, excellent film. Um, and uh, <laughs> Cumble was thinking before uh, the producer Neil Moritz brought Felipe on. He was thinking of Jonathan Rhys Meyers. That's interesting. It would have been perfect. Also would have been perfect. They both are very pretty. These are very pretty men. Yes. <laughs> I think that I, I think that Ryan Felipe brings a whiny quality to this character that is necessary and that almost no other actor would have thought to do. I think that they're I, I think on paper this is a budding master of the universe. But there's a wounded, whiny quality where I do think that even though the scene you're talking about isn't there, and I think the reason it's not there, the, the scene where they get dressed up by their servants, I honestly think it's because of budgetary reasons. I think, I think, they, I think if you look at this movie, there are almost no extras in this movie except for a few really big scenes. And I think they were very cognizant of keeping those, those shots, those scenes, which comprise about half – a half hour of the movie. Yeah. It's a very streamlined movie. There's just no the, question. Just the two of them. But I do think that Ryan Felipe is cognizant of this idea that he has to, be, given who he is, given who his father is, given how rich they are, given what he looks like, and given what he's capable of sexually, he does have to try really hard, but I don't think that's who he is in his, in his heart. I think in his heart, he's a whiny, entitled, nervous boy. I, I agree with all of that. I also think he has one of the most evil grins in the beginning, uh, maybe ever. Like there is something so evil about the way that he smi- He could play the Joker. Like he's got this just really e- oh, Tom's face right now. Well, this not, isn't what not liking no, this. No, I agree. It's a uh, yes. No, come on. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into it, shall we? Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, the movie opens uh, with the placebo song playing. Great song over these tombstones streaking across the screen. It's fantastic. And the first scene finds Sebastian uh, talking with his therapist played by Susie Kurtz, um, who also seems to be having a blast in her one scene where she's just really kind of going for broke. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, it's come to our attention that he, and by he I mean Sebastian, is sleeping with Susie Kurtz's daughter, Played by Tara Reid. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, poor Tara Reid. My favorite quote of uh, yours or any podcast, and I think I emailed you after I first heard it, was you remember when Tara Reid was nice? You remember Tara Reid was quote a was, nice girl? Do you remember when Tara Reid was a nice girl? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I remember it well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he basically has sex with his therapist's daughter. 
as some sort of revenge. I'm not even really just because he can. I, I don't know what his motive for doing it is. Well, she says because she she overcharged, but you know that's him just being just mucking about. Probably just because she right. was there. And it, and it's yeah. thing, and it's you know it's it's ballsy and it's dangerous. He's looking for the con. You already see that he's looking for the most difficult conquest. Therapist door. Yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, and I think that's that's kind of what propels us into this into the inciting incident of this movie. He does that; it means nothing to him. He's bored. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think that you know, part of it, I think, is that everything is handed to these kids, so they're looking for things that are difficult. Is sort of the impression. That yeah, I get. that's right. Um, it's a really good score. I actually think the score is actually quite good in the film in terms of it's it's propulsive. Mm-hmm. It does what it's supposed to do. It's um, so then we have although, the scene with this. With the score, oh, sorry, I'm sorry to be the contrarian. I <laughs> I suddenly realised that it's almost exactly the same in each of the. Uh, you know, they have their little, um, they their own theme for the Catherine yeah. Bastian scenes, which actually, I wish they didn't keep playing that through the, um, for lack of a better, I hate this term, the emotional scenes later on the important scenes between them later on are playing exactly the same music as the playful, seductive scenes at the beginning. And I think it's to the detriment of the character development. That's probably true. It was, to me, it was, it was actually that score over those scenes that really clued me into how long these scenes are. Because you do hear it over and over again, and they'll go through movements of the score and then replay them. Um, this also might be a budget thing for being again, that's really where I think we're going with so much of this is, is that this at its, at its core was a low budget movie that at some point got a cash infusion. And I think he, and and look, I mean, we may find, we may find out in real life that this is untrue even when we talk to him, but I think he strategically used it to build up a few choice scenes and make them look incredible. And then pay for a few massive songs, which I think was also a big part of this budget. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I agree. I do love it in the earlier scenes. I think it's perfect. It's it's kind of playful and um, uh, scheming. It's perfect for those scenes, and it really propels them along nicely. Yeah, I, I think it. All, I think it all works uh, quite well. Um, we then get the scene where. Um, Sir Michelle Geller and Sebastian have their first scene together, essentially, right? Where we start to see yeah. their dynamic. We hear their backstory a little bit as to how sort of, I guess they've been kind of circling each other like vultures, it feels like. These two people that are like trying to take each other down in some way. The two of them? Yeah. It does feel like they're hatching a plan or, or trying to sort of take each other down in some way. It's it's really all right. So let's not their parents either, which I find kind of which odd. I love, we which I totally believe, which I we you see, see him in the Bill Clinton photo, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton is brilliant. which is very right. which is very clever to make them Bill Clinton supporters, which I totally believe New York upside you know upside I'm sorry uptown East Side New York liberals. Um, I also love that I love a teen movie where there are no parents. Um, I wasn't I wasn't complaining. I yeah, just think that, it's interesting. That feels very that feels feels weirdly true to life to me. Not anything against my parents, but I feel like there were so many decisions when I was in high school where they had literally, literally no input on that. Right. So um, there's that's interesting. That element as far as their 
exactly what they're doing. Um, I all right. So my issue with with House of Cards was always that um, Francis Underwood was playing a game that no one else was playing, uh-huh. and it, it killed me that no one would get wise to it. That everyone let him manipulate them and walk all over them um, to the point where he rose to the presidency. I that's part of why I don't think this show would work as a this would work as a show because I think people would either get wise to it or viewers would get exhausted by the fact that it didn't happen. That might be true, but I do think that's what's happening in this movie is that there are two people at the core at the center of this movie who are playing a game and they're basically open about that. Um, that no one else is playing, understanding that you can push the rules of what's socially acceptable so far out um, from where people think it go, they go. And I think we're seeing this right now in this country with this president, that uh, that why not try? And why not see how far we can push and see how dangerous it can get? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think what's interesting about this scene, this first scene between them is – I mean, I think it might break the record of sexual innuendos, though. I mean, it, yeah. it feels like every line is them basically talking about fucking each other or other people. Um, but it also feels I – mean, you buy it? You're buying into these two people because they're having so much fun doing it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, Tom – I mean, I'm not an actor. You are an actor. When, when you're in these situations and – you know you've you're you're having a good time and you're just gleefully sinking your teeth into it. Are you? I, I just don't know how much they're thinking about their characters as much as they're just having a blast saying the actual dialogue itself. How do you? I mean, mean is that? that well, I guess my question is sort of: Do you feel as though, as an actor watching this scene with these two people, do you do you buy the performances? Do they feel like three dimensional characters to you, or do they feel like caricatures? Uh, it's, it's, it leans towards the latter, but I think that's intentional on their part. The, the, the only, you know, that I, I, uh, I rarely criticize other actors' performance. I don't like, I don't like doing it. I don't like it because it's hard. And, you know, I appreciate what people bring. I think the only thing that I struggled with, with Felipe's performance, was the the line between him faking it and being real. This is Sebastian, not not Felipe. Of Sebastian yeah, yeah. fake Sebastian and real Sebastian is a little too blurred. So that when we really need to see the real Sebastian later on, it's too similar to the fake Sebastian. And I think that's because there was something I learned when I was at drama school very early on is uh, you play the situation, not the character. You can't say, my character is this, this, and this, and play that throughout, because the character is going to go through different situations, and that's how you find the, the path. And I think there's a lot of playing the character in this, playing who the character is rather than the situation that they're in. And I think that is, that works for Catherine because she doesn't have as much of a journey as um, Sebastian. But for Sebastian, I think there needs to be a bit, a little something more. Now, Kenny, earlier you said about him being whiny, and it's made me 
kind of rethink uh, my opinion on his performance and actually think, because I wondered why he was doing a Malkovich impression when I watched it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you saying that reminds me that these are kids, which I forgot when I was watching. And it's actually brilliant to see him try and to see Sebastian trying to play the man he, he wants to be when underneath he's just whining and scared. All right. So I feel like I got five points there. You got um, five I'm points. still working on it. You did it. <laughs> I, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. okay. So, no, but, but to that point, um, I was, I mean, I was going to push back and the way I was going to push back is more or less, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, but I think it's all on purpose. I think it's all intentional. And I think part of it is this idea of, um, can we trust him when he makes that turn? Because he's not particularly different, right? So, and we being, you know, Reese, our conduit. So I, I feel like so much of this movie is you're, on, you're with Reese and it's don't do it, don't do it, you should do it, you should do it, don't do it, don't do it, you should do it, you should do it, right? Because... We know what he's capable of, and I think we also had this sense of what he maybe could be if he didn't grow up the way he grew up and didn't have the stepsister he had and didn't look the way he did and didn't value what he valued. He probably never met someone like her before. So um, I, I I think it works to its favor, and then I do think once the breakup stuff hits, his epic meltdown crying scene during the breakup where she's calling him out on the spot – I think that I, I, that sells the whole trans, you know, transformation to me, and that, and I think that also speaks to the whole. That's a kid; no grown up can can put that out there without without looking crazy. Yeah, but the seventeen year old, the seventeen year old, I, don't remember, it, I yeah. don't remember it being annoying when I saw it twenty years ago. As a thirty six year old man now, it's annoying watching. Oh, it's so sad to me. Watching I, 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 I do want to. Sorry, Tom. I didn't mean to. Control. No, no, no. Go ahead. It, it, uh, I, nothing I say is important. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is thinking about the, the kids of it all made me think about how um, I feel like one of the reasons that high school is so fucking brutal, not just because we're all going through adolescence and we're going through all sorts of things, but it's also because how fucking mean you can be to another human being mm. when you haven't really lived. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're just like, oh, fuck you, I'm just going to do something horrible to you because I'm 15 and I, or I'm 16 or whatever. And this movie really taps into that. I think that the, the mixture of the naughty that you were talking about, the, the, the contraband quality that this movie has, mixed with the fact that, that you're seeing real monsters get comeuppance, I think, as a kid – you know, if you're in high school and you see this movie and you're like, yeah, fuck these rich kids and, you know, and, and seeing them go down, I think is, must be, must have been very satisfying. I, I think it's satisfying now, honestly. I do. I think it is. And I think the moment you're, the, the, the thing you're alluding to, you're not alluding to it, you're being very clear. The thing you're talking about right now um, is in the movie, in the scene where they decide to take down Cecile. Mm-hmm. Where he says, you do realize what we're doing. We're going to destroy an innocent girl's life. And she's basically like, oh, yeah, so, cool. so what? Yeah. Right? It's fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's fun. And that, I mean, that's, you know, in another movie, that's like, that's the equivalent of that scene is like, okay, we're going to commit murder now. 
right? Yeah. Like we're going to do this. We're going to do a really horrible thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's interesting because in my head, and again, I forgive me, I, I don't mean to keep making connections to dangerous liaisons, but the reason I bring it up is that for adults to do it is what you just said, which is to, is to essentially murder a person or destroy a person in this movie. I, I feel like they don't really fully comprehend what they're doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. That, that, and I think that that's part of why it's so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I, I don't want to say enjoyable, but, but there's a little bit more escapism in watching it as kids than it is as adults. Well, it's, it, yes. Now, watching it as adults uh, or adults... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm picking. I've, I've, this is an hour and a half of talking to you, and I'm already picking up your. Anyway, um, it's it's similar to watching. Um, uh, we call it the X Factor. What do you call it? What do you call it? Over uh, here? X, American Idol. American Idol. It's similar well, to watching X American Factor too. But yeah, and you have you know kids coming on and saying, "This is my last chance. I've worked my whole life for this." It's like you're a child. It's going to be fine. And so, and it's the same with this, is that, yeah, okay, so the, the kids at school are going to realise there's coke in your crucifix, but you're going to be all right. I can't, but I, I just can't, uh, why, I can't but, look at any movie like that. But as a, as a teenager, it meant something completely different. And it's only just dawning on me quite how successful this film is in speaking to teenagers in 1999. And unsuccessful it is speaking to uh, a pretentious, contrary English 36-year-old <laughs> in 2018. <laughs> uh, well, I think no we can keep going. Successful in speaking to that I, I, think, I think we may have just figured it all out. But, um, well, but yeah, I, don't, I, I was just going to say, I can't look at any film like that. I can't, I, 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 I can't look at any high school film and say, uh, ultimately, it's not so important what happens when you're 18 or you know, 17 or 18. Because then you won't like any high school film. Because you just say the stakes are low no matter what. I mean, short of a virgin suicide, we're literally we're talking about people killing themselves, right? Um, but I, but I, I just again, not to. I feel as though I'm trying to play both camps here. But I, you're moderating. I'm a little bit of moderating. But I'm going to say this. I, I think that because this movie exists in such a strange fucking place, it's different when like I'm watching Ten Things I Hate About You. Or I'm watching, I mean, I'm trying to think, Jawbreaker even, where it's like the stakes are there and the movie is overtly playful. 
Mm. They're really kind of dramedies, if we're being honest, right? I mean, like, there's stakes. Those two movies. Yes, I'm speaking of most teen dramas. Let's take Jawbreaker out. Or Varsity Blues. Yeah, take I mean, Jawbreaker out because Jawbreaker is trying to do something different. Sure. Take the 10 Things Out About You, the She's All That, the Varsity Blues, right. and the American Pies. Right. They All those movies, I think, are trying to present high school life as it is, more or less. Whereas this movie is not. Right. And this, which is, I think, part of why... It's it's a struggle to watch this film with a discerning eye because you're like, what are you like? What is it? It, it literally feels like something alien in its own way. I was about to just use like, exactly the same word with those other films. There is still something inherently relatable about all of them, no matter what the preposterous situation is. But in this, they're alien. So I never felt an emotional connection to any of them. And that's not because of bad performances. It's because of the type of film it is. I think we're meant to be separate to it, by and large, because I think they're so repulsive. I think I may have figured it out. I love <laughs> this movie, obviously. <laughs> okay. I've probably seen this movie as many times as any movie we've done so far. Um, really? Off the top of my head, American Beauty may be up there, but just this movie, I've probably seen 20 times. Um, Interesting. Okay. This movie no longer feels like that to me, and it probably hasn't for years. Okay. It doesn't feel alien to me. It's actually, and this is this is a product I think of re- repeat viewing. It's weirdly warm to me. It's it's a weirdly it's broken. You. It's a no, no. It hasn't broken me. I just, I just. I know these characters very well and I'm very comfortable with them. I know what they're going to do. I know where they're going to go. I know who I'm rooting for. Um, and I find, I, I, I find the humor in things that may not have been funny the first time. I find emotion in things that I might've been caught up on the logic of earlier on. Um, none of the logic bothers me anymore whatsoever. Like I feel like I've gotten the entire movie, what they're trying to do with it. And uh, I, I, I do, I think that's a big part of it. Just sometimes you watch a movie over and over and over again, and the stuff you love just comes to the surface. And the stuff you may not love or, or, or may have not loved on earlier viewings, if you really love the stuff you love, just gets suppressed. I just, I, I, I'm capable of ignoring all of the things that I think are problematic or less than optimal in this movie. Because I, I love so, so many aspects of it so much. I get that. Um, let's let's we got to get back to the plot. Uh, basically, at this point, Catherine lays out a scheme for Sebastian to seduce Cecile uh, so he so she can get revenge on her ex. Uh, Sebastian says that his real goal is Annette Hargrove, a virgin he set his eyes on, who's uh, the daughter of the headmaster. Catherine bets Sebastian that he can't get Annette in bed if he if he can't. She gets his car. If he wins, he can, quote, unquote, put it anywhere. That's all right. That's, that's, that's exactly, I, uh, the, I, the, I, that's, that's exactly took, the core motivation of this movie, fucking his sister up the ass. Yes. I took a screen grab of uh, when they finally open his journal at the end and they read it so I could read uh, everything that was written. It's pathetic. Uh, but <laughs> when, it comes, when it comes to the bet, He's drawn a little picture in the corner and it's uh, she wins and he's drawn some car keys and drawn his car. <laughs> and underneath that, I win and he's drawn a picture of her 
and he's cut out because he seems to like collages, cut out her eyes and put them on just to make it look really bone collector. And and then then he draws a little arrow towards her ass. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this, is, this is this is good stuff. That's, this is important stuff. That, this is good stuff. <laughs> Sebastian's, <laughs> Sebastian's journal. <laughs> Sebastian's journal is basically a burn book. It's absolutely a burn book. <laughs> it's totally a burn book. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sebastian meets Annette. He confronts her. It's also, about, that's um, also some of the beauty of this movie. I love that this motherfucker's most prized possession is her butt. Is a, no, that's not no, <laughs> his car. It, 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 no, no, it's not his car. It's it's the burn book. The thing he covets the most is her butt. That's true. Sure. Um, I think uh, they make a pretty good fucking case of why that might be. <laughs> <laughs> she is sexually manipulating yeah. him every second actually, they are on screen together. The first time he meets uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon's character at his, uh, the aunt's house, and he, yep. he takes her off to show her around. She goes up the stairs, and he's he looks at her butt. Her I know. <laughs> he know does. He looks at her him. butt twice. It's great. <laughs> he takes he takes a position behind her up the stairs yeah. specifically yeah. to get a good look at her butt. But you have to remember, we are not supposed to like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but but. Oh my god. He's supposed I mean, to be a cad. He's supposed to be a he's supposed to be a creep. Like the whole thing is he's a creep. We are if you're rooting for Ryan it, like like the movie if you're rooting for Ryan Felipe during this movie, you are watching it wrong. I'm not saying you are, but like I I don't I don't think says any he's of charming. us everyone talks about he's charming. In the very first scene, Tara Reed says she did it because he's charming, and we don't see yeah. any of that charm. The girls he the girls he manipulates talk that way, but Christine Baranski in her letter to Reese Witherspoon has seen through him completely. It's not that as if every character on this uh, in this movie is charmed by him. Sixteen and seventeen year old girls who are mostly virgins are charmed by him. That's oh, man. that like speaks I said, to every girl. Every girl in who I knew in nineteen ninety nine was in love with it. I tried to do my hair like him in this film. Really? Yeah. I try. I, I'm trying to do my hair like him right now. Look. <laughs> Um, so Sebastian meets Annette. He confronts her about her piece on virginity. He checks at her ass, as we just said. She yep. pushes back. She's not charmed by him at all. Not with her ass. Uh, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, right. uh, Nurse Ratchet <laughs> is in there. Let's not forget. Yes, yes. Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, yeah. Nurse Ratchet. Uh, she's like six build in, in this movie. I think she has two two scenes, but yeah. Uh, Catherine then meets Cecile at her cello lessons with Ronald. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we learn that Cecile is in love with Ronald. Do we learn that there? I mean, it's pretty obvious at that point. They're both in love with each other. Right. Yes. yes. Sorry. But we don't necessarily learn that there. I, but yes. There, um, then we see Joshua Jackson with insane bleached hair. Which is probably pretty cool at the time. Maybe. He, he had it on Dawson's, too. No, he didn't. He did. He had frosted tips on Dawson's. We've skipped through right. something. You'd, you skipped past uh, Ronald a lot. Wait, what? You'd, you'd skip past the music teacher. No, we're, ju- we're, ju- we're talking about that right now. Oh, oh I, sorry, I, I sorry, stopped Tom. listening some time ago. <laughs> uh, uh, no, we were just saying that she that we we uh, we were literally just saying that that uh, we're at the scene where Catherine meets Cecile at the cello lessons. Oh, yes. And how yes. and how they're um, how Cecile and Ronald are clearly infatuated with one another, which will be uh, 
Sebastian now I have to ask, how old yeah. would he be? He'd be a college student. Yeah. That, that is a little more problematic with a capital P. <laughs> with a capital P. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, but they never consummated. And he never touched her, remember? Oh, that's right. Oh, no, 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 no. Later on, when... Uh, oh, they're, they're in bed together, you're right. Him, they're in bed you're together. Right. Yeah. Eh, you know, but I'm not rooting for him either. He's a murderer. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, he's sleeping with Catherine. He's, I mean, yeah. he's, he's not the greatest guy either, but okay. No. Um, so then Sebastian goes to Joshua Jackson and hatches a plan to manipulate the football player who's gay to get info from him, right? The reason he does that is because um, Reese Witherspoon gets a letter from somebody. Yes. And in this letter, it details all the things to be concerned about with Sebastian. You know, he's really handsome, but he's really manipulative, manipulative, and he'll do this to you, and he'll do that to you, and he'll break your heart and leave you, you know, lying on the street dead. Um, And... He Sebastian's trying to figure out who could possibly send this girl in Kansas City this letter. And him and Joshua Jackson figure out that there is one person who goes to this boarding school in Manchester who's from Kansas City yep. and happens to be the Gregster. And <laughs> maybe it's the Gregster. And it also just so happens – and this is – honestly, this is shit I love. Like I just love that like all these pieces just like – they don't even fit together. It's not even like that. They're just like there are only so many pieces on this board. So of course all gonna fit together. The Gregster is closeted is a closeted homosexual. Joshua Jackson seems to be an open homosexual. And they sleep and together. And drug dealer. Yeah, he's a pot dealer, of yeah. course, because he no, contains, he contains multitudes. And um they, layers, layers to this character. Layers to this character. And uh they sleep together every once in a while. And then the Gregster wakes up and says the Gregster. Says, uh, what were you doing, bro? Why are you sleeping with me, bro? It's one time thing, bro. And then, like a month later, they do it again. So the right. plan they hatch is for the Gregster to go over to Joshua Jackson's, Brian Felipe to catch him in the act, take pictures of him, and then use it to blackmail him to uh, go back and tell Annette nice things. Uh huh. So that's that makes sense. It's kind of it. Yeah. Okay. And this was, of course, back in the time which literally lasted until about five years ago. Where you could put in the script, or you would put in the script, I'll I I can catch you in the act uh, doing homosexual activities, yes, and I will ruin your life with that, which right. is crazy. Which is crazy. Mm. It's crazy yeah. how how long in our lives that was a trope. I swear to God, up until like three or four years ago, I'd see that stuff in scripts. Yeah, I worked on a show where that happened, and it wasn't on. What show was? Oh, really? Well, I'll try to do it too, but it was a different <laughs> show that did it in the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah uh, oh yeah uh, oh yeah hit show hbo yeah, every hit show ran for a long time, for a long time. Uh, so it now we're, we're, we're and a movie eight seasons in a movie unbelievable uh so now we're every <laughs> 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 you hear that one tom Entourage, did, you get, did you get one of your side of the pod oh yes of course it did yeah yeah uh Entourage. so now we're at the infamous kissing scene in central park where uh sarah michelle geller is showing selma blair how to kiss she's never kissed a boy she's never kissed a boy before and she wants to kiss ronald yeah uh so she's showing her how to do that and she probably hadn't even seen save the last dance yet so probably not no i mean very few people had in fact no one hadn't come out yet yet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but after that we all wanted to kiss him 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, specifically, it's Julia the, Stiles. It's the moment that everyone remembers. Everyone remembers. It really is. That kiss. That's the it's moment. also, it's a long kiss. Let's talk about this kiss. It goes on for a while. It's a, there's a, so much tongue. A lot I also don't think I also don't think it's a particularly strong representation of how you should kiss somebody. <laughs> the, well, I think the I, I think explaining to someone who's never kissed with words how you kiss somebody is a pretty tall task. No, I'm I'm, I'm not suggesting that you don't need to actually physically show it. I'm saying that that's not necessarily like. A great looking kiss. I thought it was a great looking kiss. All right. I swear to God. I, I and I, I, I maybe I'm just riding for this movie. I never thought it before. Tom shakes his head, but, I, but I'm watching it this time, and I'm thinking, I, I was really like, oh, I, I get it. Like I really, <laughs> yeah, shocking. Well, Two beautiful women kissing the, in the middle of Central Park, and you're like cool with it. Yeah. Well, no. MTV I mean, awards. at this, I don't know. I, I, I think it actually is kind of crossed over. I think, it, I think it probably had a ten or fifteen year period where it was just too icky for words. And I think it's crossed over to like almost kind of beautiful. I mean, oh my god! I right. Here's I, what I will say: I kind of was taken with, I kind of was taken with it with with how beautiful they both looked, uh-huh. how much I believe that this was Selma Blair's first kiss in that moment. Okay, um, I, I bought that. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, witch outfit. Good, well, I, I, I <laughs> consider like a witch. I consider it a funeral outfit, but her sure. her whole nice girl demeanor is so great. I love it so much. I, we're best Tom, friends. Tom, do you have silly. thoughts about this? We're best this friends. This was silly. so obviously written and directed by a man. <laughs> yeah, could it be any more male gaze? It's the, yeah. It's the very definition of the male gaze. To the point where I I uh, saw an interview. Ryan Felipe was doing his, uh, his uh, press tour and did an interview with a very, very young-looking John Stewart. And it was really brief. It was only four minutes and he was out. The only bit that was spoken about was the kiss. That's the only yeah. bit yeah. of the film that was spoken well, about. It, was it does kind of seem like it was, like it was the put trailers, in there. It was all anyone was talking about. It's the, the thing that most people remember, and it's completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. <laughs> but it made the film. Okay. I mean, like, I, I, okay, but also, like, so what? You know, I like... Well, that's... I think that's a pretty weak counter argument of so what. So what? <laughs> no, I, I I get that it's completely unnecessary. I get that it feels kind of icky and, and exploitative. Yeah. Um, no, I do. I understand all those arguments. Uh, it also feels ne- like if you don't do something like that, you're leaving money on the table. Right, there is a as considering the it, subject matter. There is a contraband element to this. There's also a porn element to this. Right, this isn't porn. In fact, there's no naked characters except for Ryan Felipe's ass. But you are yeah, in that pool scene. He walks yeah, over, he sees butt. You are kind of trying to deliver arch. on the on the the nastiness. Wait, what was that, Tom? Sorry, it has an excellent ass. It is an excellent. It's ass. shocking. <laughs> I totally agree. Because he doesn't look like he has that physique in clothes. But no. his ass is perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's, but, yeah. it's a great ass. One of the great asses. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I, there's not really much more to say about this kissing scene. But here's what I will say is that to, to Tom's point, and, and probably, quite frankly, it seems that it was, you know, 
what they talked about in the interviews, it is it's arguably the most iconic scene in the movie. I mean, it, it's the scene that you know when when if there was if there was a time capsule for Cruel Intentions, this would be the fucking scene that they would put in the time yeah, capsule. That's not what I would put in though, as a lover of this movie, as a little lover. Um, I would put in the last scene. And I think the last scene, the, the bittersweet, the bittersweet, scene, which almost they didn't get the rights to, which would have been no, a travesty. Because, but that's because of the soundtrack. That's because it's the bittersweet symphony. That's put it, that's put fair. And it, that's fair. <laughs> but they that's fair. But they did it. The, you got to give them credit for doing it, right? I, sure, it's a great sure. needle drop. Yeah, but it's it, it's actually. I think it's actually. Kind of, I swear to God, I think it's kind of a brave needle drop. That song. That what that song didn't come out in this movie. That song existed in pop culture at that point. And it wasn't... Well, when did it come out? It wasn't... 97. Um, or, 97, is that what you're saying? 97, which, um, on another note, I would posit, much like you are positing 99, a great year for movies, 1997, I think, is one of the best years ever for music. Huh. Carry on, Ken. But this really is a brilliant. It, I'm sure. It, it I'm sure I have song, no doubt that it was. But I do think that playing a song that's two years old in your climactic scene, no matter how great the song was, is a bold move. Because I'll put it. I'll, I'll give you an example of where it doesn't really work and where they they got killed for it. In the network, uh, not the network, the newsroom. Uh huh. When he played "Fix You," which was yeah, I actually I'm, I loved the use of "Fix You" in, in you that did? episode of the newsroom. Good for you, and I'm not knocking it. No, I'm not knocking it because no, I, no, because I think because I think Fix You is a really great song, and yeah. I also think Fix You is a really powerful song. But it was killed. But it I was, I also was, ride for that show maybe more than I should. But it was also like specifically pointed to as a moment where Aaron Sorkin was out of touch, um, and that was a very non HBO <clears throat> kind of needle drop because it was an old. It wasn't old. It was a few years old. It was a few years out of the zeitgeist. Favor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I think if you watch that. That moment now, mm-hmm. just like Bittersweet Symphony, mm-hmm. and you don't have the baggage of like Coldplay is like 18 months out from being cool, mm-hmm. I think it would play really well. So I think the Bittersweet Symphony drop was very bold. Just like I, th- I always thought uh, Don't Stop Believing was a really bold needle drop in Glee. Well, or Sopranos. Sopranos. And Glee for that matter. Yeah. But Sopranos, because that wasn't a cool song, but it's an amazing song. Someone just has to tell you in the right context that this actually can be used different ways i think i mean here's what i'll say like what we're really what we're circling here and to tom's point that the power of this scene in a lot of ways comes from the music yeah but it's a marriage of visuals with audio it is it is what we're seeing mixed with this song that makes it incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. and it's why you know music is i remember and I'm, I'm I'm going to talk about Sleepy Hollow for a second here, Tom. Um, I remember when I saw the, of it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I saw the first cut of the pilot, and there was no score. And, and I really, Tom was I really liked it. Dreadful. It was dreadful. <laughs> music yeah, on. thankfully. And oh my god! Thankfully, the music. Tom was saved by the music. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I I use this as an example because I remember I watched the pilot and I was like, this is great. Then I saw it with the music and I was like, now I know how to feel, if that makes oh, any sense. Super you don't know how to feel yeah. truly when you're watching television, movies, what have you, without the music. So it's a great marriage. It's a great moment. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of Bittersweet Symphony. I don't love the Verve as much as some people do. Um, but 
it I works incredibly song, well in that moment. That song is so stirring that yeah. it completely takes you away from the absurdity of that final scene. And so, I, I love the song more because of the scene. I think, so I think that song borders on, just like Don't Stop Believing." I think those songs border on ridiculous um, because they're so orchestrated. Sure. They're so yeah. produced. Um, but in the right context, they're also so powerful. And I think that that's, to me, um, a lot of the reason why I love this movie is because the guts to the guts to put a played out pop song that had just been used on a Crystal Pepsi commercial, um, <laughs> which is true, really? uh, over your climactic scene. Because it's the perfect song, and divorcing it from the way it's been, the the, the, the way it's been, in, the way culture has engaged with it over the last two years is so brilliant. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I, never I, have the guts to do it. It's. I mean, it, it's. I'm looking at the soundtrack right now because I know I owned it when it came out, and I. It, but it's. It is a quite an interesting array of bands on here. Yeah. You know. Placebo, Fatboy Slim, Blur, Counting Crows, Marcy Playground. Not, I mean, Marcy Playground. God bless them. I do love that one song. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, Sex, Sex and Candy. Candy. It's a great oh, song. Such a good song. Uh, that's the only song. That's the only song. Then you've got Amy Mann on here as well, and obviously The Verve. Um, and then a bunch. Did she do any other soundtracks this year? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I, I, it's interesting. It's it's a very it was a very big soundtrack, and I remember. As I was rewatching it, when "Praise You" comes on, when they're when they're driving, yeah, right? They're driving, yeah. And yeah. I was I was thinking to myself, no. "Wow!" Like Fat Boy Slim was so huge. Tom has left the building. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, I know you. I'm kidding. Uh, and just thinking about how huge he was off of two songs. Fat Boy well, Slim. just those two songs, right? But, Rockefeller Skank, yeah. and 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 praise you, and praise you. Part of praise you's success is Spike Jones' amazing it's music a, video. It's a pretty catchy little earworm, though. But it, but that music video yeah. is fantastic. It's too. an amazing video, but the video supplements the song. Like that song was already yeah. in the zeitgeist. It's like, true. Yeah. Um, but be that as it may, it's a great soundtrack. It was a huge. It was you're a also, huge hit. But you're also not talking about Colorblind, which is yeah amazing. It's great. It's like that to me. To me, that is your first sexual experience. That's the dream first sexual experience. And it wasn't the first track Some, that they wanted to hear. I know. Filmed, it was amazing. Specifically. Was that, <laughs> that was Phil. Yeah, no, that's what true. I, yeah, yeah, I know. He told me about it. It's yeah. exactly that. Yeah. It's the, it's, <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to get very, very real here. Like I'm going to, I'm going to oh, take this very, get, well, no, I mean. Did I, you play colorblind for your first time? For my, for, no. Do you remember what was playing? <laughs> You wouldn't have to tell me. Uh, I would not tell you. I can't remember if a song was playing. I can um, tell you what album was playing during mine. If oh, that, tell if me. I would love to hear it. Uh, it was uh, Massive Attacks Protection. Oh, interesting. Would wow. you were you using or not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to get. I don't want to get too much into that. But yes, there was this. Kind I don't of either. Like, I was just. But, but I think there was this this very like idealized version of your first time. Uh, the way it was shot, only shoulders and up. Um, the way they were sweated, the lighting they used. It made me think a lot song. of the sex scene from uh, Reality Bites. Yeah. yeah. Just, just putting that out there. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a... Uh, I, 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 I do. I, th- I think, like, 
to speak to our like to speak to our earlier point how the relationship was underdeveloped yeah i think that that particular scene with that particular song you a lot of went a long way towards explaining that. like why these two people and it's it's your other point that song makes that song yeah. makes you feel the way this movie wants you to feel which is this is a special kind of love i i don't disagree and, and i mean i'm i'm a bit of a counting crows apologist i enjoy their first two albums or what it's fuck isn't i mean who's shitting on <laughs> counting Tom crows Tom Mason, do you have thoughts on counting crows right now i'm with you 1999 counting crows yes fine Fine. First, th- first, <laughs> first three albums. It's yes, a, fine. They're going to put fine. that on the CD. I put uh, on a breakup <laughs> album in, in high school. For their best of album on the front. Best of in Tom Mason. Yes, fine. Yes, fine. In the nineties, on a breakup album, I put on three well. Counting Crow songs. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so no, back no, to the no, story. I, I can't accept that using one. It's an incredibly manipulated uh, song. For a sex scene with no dialogue is enough to justify no development in their relationship. I just said it went a long way. I also think, um, I also think, uh, you know, I mean, I've probably made the, the, the other, the counter to this argument just as many times as I've made this argument. So it's kind of a lame argument, but just stick with me. Movies are manipulative. That's their goal. <laughs> Their goal is to make you Mic feel drop. a certain way. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I listen. I, I, I am a. I just hate, but I, but I, I hear you because I hate, I hate actually feeling the machinations of the manipulation, and I felt that less than I think you did here. But you know, when you do feel like these are the buttons they're pressing to make you feel a way, it, it does kind of bother me. I'm, so. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shock everyone by agreeing with both of you here, and just, no. I know, and just saying this. Which is that I think that I am I'm a Justice sucker. Kennedy over here. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> just dated this episode. Um, it's every one of his rulings is like, well, I agree with the four liberal judges, but I'm going to vote. I'm going to. I'd rather. With, yeah. Um, literally Jesus. his last fucking ruling. What I was going to say was, I think that a great needle drop does amazing things and it can sell a scene. And some people wield it like a kid who finds his daddy's gun. I don't necessarily no! think I don't necessarily think that <laughs> wow. that that is what's happening here. But I do no. think that some filmmakers or television shows or what have you will wield it when they don't have the words and they don't have the character and they don't have the whatever. But if 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 you if you use a great song, it goes a long way. I actually, if I'm being less of a prick, I do think every song in this is used perfectly, and they must have spent a lot of money on their soundtrack. And they chose really, really <laughs> wisely. I think every song is beautifully placed. Yeah. Coffee and TV I, I for think... the kiss, colorblind for the sex, uh, yeah. bittersweet symphony for the end. Yeah, no, I think I think I I really think part of it too is they spent the money on the soundtrack. They you know what I mean? Like you can tell because like music rights are especially in 99 were incredibly expensive yep. and you know they smart they used it smartly they knew that at that time we're going to have a whole episode dedicated just to the soundtracks of 1999 but i do think that uh uh there is something to that that idea of soundtracks still sell they're selling back then they want to make sure that that this cd is in the disc man of every you know kid between 13 and 21 yeah okay, they did a pretty good job of that everyone uh, had the romeo and juliet soundtrack everyone well, yeah, I mean, Even Romeo and Juliet's soundtrack like the is film. 
at the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet's the other kind of a uh, contrabandy movie from this time. Too. A little bit. They, they they're nothing like each other, but um, kind of the the place in I think a young person's consciousness is the same. Yeah, agree. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I mean I think Romeo and Juliet is. I mean, it's my favorite Baz Luhrmann film, and I love Moulin Rouge. Well, it's not mine, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> and actually, I feel the way about Romeo and Juliet in the context of Moulin Rouge that I do uh, with this film. Like, uh, Moulin Rouge is just my personal favorite movie. So, ever? I used to say that. Is it really? I mean, I'm, like, impre- I'm impressed by that. I used to put that out there and say that. Uh, it's certainly one of my top ten favorite movies. It's fantastic. I love yeah, it. I'm not saying film. that I don't. It's a uh, so, back to the story of Cruel Intentions. Uh I, I think it's interesting. This movie really fucking moves. Like it's 97 yeah. minutes. There is no fat on this thing. And we, as we've all sort of agreed, it could have actually used a little bit more fat. It could have used a little bit more of a running time, probably closer to 110 minutes or something like that, rather than the 97 that it is. But it wastes no time getting to story. It's right in there from mm-hmm. basically the first scene. Yeah. Uh, now we, we get to the pool scene now. You know or Sebastian Skinny There's no backstory. They don't waste any time with backstory. You see who, who needs backstory, Tom? Who needs I backstory? I hate backstory. I hate it so much. Oh God, I you hate you backstory. Hate, you, you hate backstory? I hate backstory. Just show show the characters now. And I totally agree with you. We, if, we talk about that a lot. If they're, on, they're well written on, on enough and rounded enough, you'll see their history there. And I think totally. actually that's something that this film does brilliantly. Oh my God, I'm starting to like it. it can it, I? It, it, it'll. <laughs> I agree. It'll. It'll. If you do. If you do your job right. It'll all come out. Yes. Well, can I ask you a question, actually, Tom? As, yeah. as an actor, I have an actor question for you here. I apologize, but I'm going to ask you an actor question. Uh, do you, as an actor... Good question. I know where you're going with this. ...want to know backstory? Or is it, is it not helpful to you? Um, I think a lot of it is... Our the, personal history aside. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of finding the backstory is the fun of the job, like finding right. out for ourselves. Uh, I think knowing a bit is very helpful. But if, like I said, if you have clear, rounded characters, then you don't need it. And I've never felt, I've never thought in any job, I wish I knew a bit more about their past because you know that's the fun, that's the invention. Um, so. Here's a follow-up question to that, which is if you are not given backstory, do you invent stuff yourself? Occasionally, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, do if you you're present that to the creators? No. Do you, would no, you? No. no. I, I, I trust that people would say if it was explicit and getting in the way of the story, but I... No. Um, no. I think you you know okay. you'd, if there's enough in the script to grasp hold of, you don't ever need to know about history, really. Like I don't need mm-hmm. to know the history of any of the characters in this film because they're all so so clear. I mean, I I don't disagree at all. And, I, it's just I, I, I I'm just read, curious from a and I think I, I think if we somewhere. oh sorry sorry go ahead Tom no go ahead sorry go ahead Tom um I I read somewhere that Sarah Michelle Gellar actually took out a lot of backstory. Humble was talking to her about uh, the character's past and came up with something about um, an abusive childhood, which turned her into this. And 
Sarah Michelle Gellar said, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Let's just make her a bitch and let people make their own minds. We don't need to, to then so why. It's why I'd have, you know, I don't think we need to see lots of origin stories for certain characters. Perhaps. We've been banging that drum too. Wait, so you don't, you don't, you're not interested in finding out why Darth Vader became Darth Vader, Tom? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, we've. Uh, no. that, I, 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 the, the last thing I need, I totally agree with you, is to is to have some kind of canon version. Yeah. Of why so and so became so and so. There's lots of pack with what you just said. The Sarah Michelle Geller point. Um, I respect the hell of it. Big ups to her. Huge, huge. Big ups yeah. to her would have ruined the movie. Absolutely. Um, Couldn't agree with you more. Really would have destroyed the movie if that was the case. Uh, so it's just the other point about um, backstory with this movie in particular. It would have been. Uh, it would have been terrible if we walked into this movie and we saw some kind of initial spark between. Uh, Sebastian and Catherine, mm. why they want to fuck each other. Putting that out there and letting us do the little legwork of why this might be is so much of the fun and joy of this yes, movie. Absolutely. This crazy situation, yeah. these two exact people, the exact age, gorgeous, sexually obsessed, of and not blood related. Of course, they want to fuck each other. Yep. And not having that fucking bullshit taboo and that's why like i really hate when people describe the story as the guy wants to fuck his sister that's so simplistic that doesn't that doesn't come close to understanding what this movie's about or 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 the way this movie works um i think there's also i mean to your point like the electricity between these two people the magnetism the mystery of what you know what i mean like all of that is what makes it exciting and titillating and 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 yeah, yeah, so I, I, I she understands the power she has mm-hmm. by being by looking the way she looks and acting the way she acts and living in the same living on the same roof as the person she lives under and withholding it from him. Yep. In a way in, in a way that drives this entire movie. That's the engine of this movie is her complete understanding of the dynamic. Absolutely. Um and we I, don't we don't realize that until the end when she wins it. If we I also, discovered that, you know, she always hated him. Their parents always preferred him, and this was the one bit of power that she had. It would it would spoil all of it. When she when she basically reveals at the end of the movie is, oh, you thought we were playing a game? Oh no, no, I've been playing the game. That's amazing, and that that's his exoneration moment. It's it's, it's insane that I'm going to say this, but in a weird way, this film really does understand less is more. In some ways, and in others, more is more. But I do think that that there is something very kind of interesting about. And you have to wonder as well, you know, so many films are, are found in the editing room. So on some level, you have to imagine that there was stuff that they, like, they really just got this down to its essence. They really just cut this film down to the quick. And I think that that's what makes it so sharp. That's what makes it so exciting because we are filling in gaps along the way. Um, so to get to just to kind of catch up a little bit here, Sarah Michelle Gellar now has this amazing speech. Uh, the Marsha fucking Brady yeah. speech that she gives, which she's again, like she delivers it like it's a soliloquy or something like she's just n- gnawing the, sh- the scenery with basically every line that she has in this movie. And it's it's fantastic. I think she's loving being a villain because she's been a hero on Buffy for several seasons at this point, And she's just enjoying that. I don't know. If she wasn't the biggest actor in the world after this movie. Yeah. Because when you put this next to Buffy. Yeah. 
because she is not the obvious choice for this no. in any way. She's way more. It's way more likely she would have played Annette. Absolutely, and it's way more likely I think that Reese Witherspoon probably would have played Catherine. Not that she would have been a good Catherine, but she played devious characters before, um, yeah. dark characters. So what Sarah Michelle Gellar is able to do in this movie, and having everyone who know who knows her knew her from know her from Buffy, is remarkable. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's 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 loving it. The way she finishes off every T, the way she enunciates every word, the way she, the, the way she owns every scene she's in. I just and I love Buffy. I just didn't know she was capable of it. I always thought she was kind of not the worst part of Buffy. I think she's great in it, but the supporting characters are very strong in that movie and sometimes overpowered her. I also think that I mean that show. I, I would also say too that, um, and I, I imagine that Tom has feelings on this, but playing. <laughs> Playing the hero isn't always much fun. It can feel very boxed in. Unless it's a really fun hero. Unless it's the greatest hero that's ever been on really Fox Television. Hero. You might be like... Hero I've ever come across. Thank you. <laughs> you, you, I mean, you, you, you did a brilliant job. But, I, but, but, I, it, I, but it, truthfully, it, I mean, I imagine it's, it's got to be a little bit limiting, right? Because you feel like there's, there's just no... Dense. It's it's just you know what I mean. Like you you have to play it very safe. But part of the brilliance of that show is was pairing him pairing him up with you know the straight lace. Yeah, the straight lace cop. So you can so Ichabod can be what you want Ichabod to be. And actually, unlike Buffy, uh, you wrote he allowed to be a dick. Yes. So he yeah. wasn't yes. the one hundred percent squeaky clean hero type. Which That's, very this boring. is true. Uh, which yes is why. You know, Sarah Michelle Gellar must have been desperate to play this. Absolutely, and it, and I mean, it it and it's to, why she's having Kenny's so point. much fun with it. Clearly, she's having fun with it, and she's also I think that she's just thrilled to be able to redefine herself. Yeah. in a way to be able to say like, look, at, I can do this too. Um, at this point, Cecile comes over to Sebastian's to write the love letter to Ronald, and this is the infamous scene that we were talking about earlier. Uh, and Sebastian convinces her to let him perform oral sex on her. So he doesn't call her mom and tell her what's going on. After spiking it's, her drink. And spiking your drink. It's well, it was just a nice tea. To to quote blank check, that's some pretty sweaty <laughs> not the manipulation. Not the of, not the of, best of uh, um, story. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, Sebastian I, I, I do want to say this. Yes, okay, go ahead. Not the best. Mm-hmm. Definitely rape. <laughs> um, not not trying to say it's not. I'm yeah, a, I'm yeah. a pretty big fucking proponent of that. Is w- w- another way a rape is mm-hmm. right? Rape isn't just gun to the head. Rape isn't just yeah. you know date rape. You 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 know there's it's a power. Rape is manipulation a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and that is what he's doing. I want that to be clear. Uh. And I do understand if you look at it through a 2018 lens and say that's unforgivable. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to look at it through a 1999 lens before people kind of understood these rules. And I think it was just kind of, as he said, we're destroying an innocent person's life. I think it was as far as they were willing to push it in that in that moment. And it, it's too far by today's standards, no doubt. Do you think but, they, th- they thought they were forgiving it by her enjoying it? Yes. Because I that's, that's the worst thing about it. That's what got no, you're right. Dogs that's, that's a good point. For thirty years, <laughs> it's just also true. Um, so at this point, we're going to pivot to Sebastian <laughs> at an old folks' retirement home with an old lady. 
And I don't even understand. Like he gets her to lie about the fact that they've been hanging out all day. Oh, I just think she's uh, she's seen now. Yeah. He's got dementia. Funnier. Yeah. I yeah. think she's just seen now. The hilarity that is dementia. Uh, then we we have the fat boy Slim praise you playing in the car while Sebastian and Annette um, drive. This is the moment we've talked about a little bit already, but Annette at this point holds Sebastian's hand. And I literally wrote, what has Sebastian done to earn any affection from Annette? Well, what I wrote then was, uh, it was two lines of dialogue that really threw me. He'd, you know, he'd he'd admit that he he had a a terrible time. He hated going to the old people's home. He he hates old people. Clearly the film, (laughs) the film itself hates old people, clearly. Um, look at how every. I don't know. Have you ever met an old person? Um, <laughs> and and he says he says I hate doing charity, and she, a Christian, says that doesn't make you a bad person, and then holds his hand. Okay, uh, I will ride for this one. I will ride for this one. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> what I think she was what was warming to in that moment and what i truly think was happening in that moment was uh that's a pretty vulnerable thing to admit sebastian isn't that 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 is letting his guard down right for the most part i mean he's trying to present the best possible version of himself that's that whole gregster thing he gets a bad vibe he gets a bad uh rap but he's really a great guy he's always there for me works his ass off that's what he wants to put forth and i actually and, and to say i hate charity i think is letting her in and i also agree that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person um it's not a great look but i think the vulnerability is what she is is into at that moment i think she's starting to feel like i'm breaking i'm i'm breaking through to this guy uh, sure it's a bit of a stretch, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you. Let's that's a big deal. That's that's intimacy, guys. That's what intimacy is: telling people, telling someone things about you that you wouldn't tell other people. And he's, right, but I don't. I don't. He wouldn't tell anyone that other than Catherine. This, that's where we. That's where I disagree with you. You think you would go and tell people he hates charity? He's a fucking monster. Look, he what, is a fucking monster. Why I agree. Would, why would he have any lines in the sand about telling people anything about himself? I don't think. I think he is because he's. I think he does. I don't. Well, think, whatever. He put okay. naked I'm pictures just, of Tara Reid on the internet in the very first scene. Yeah, no, he's a total piece of shit. I totally agree. But it's so a piece of shit would probably be like fuck charities. Oh no, and wouldn't be okay. No, the piece but, of sh- the piece of shit is Donald Trump, who has a big fucking charitable organization and gives no and gives nothing out. That's the piece of shit. I got the Trump Foundation. The piece of shit's the liar. Okay. All right. But you're not going to hold his hand unless you're Theresa May. I, if Donald Trump said to me, you know, you know, Kenny, the Trump Foundation is a big scam. And honestly, I really don't like charity. You'd hold his hand after that? Is that what you're saying? I'd like him more. <laughs> but hey, at least he was telling me the truth. But if, uh, but if, I was if joking that whole time until that last point. I would like him more. If he came out and he's like, honestly, guys, like I've been bullshitting about this charity the whole time. I'd be like, finally saying something real. And that's how I would feel about Felipe in the moment. Finally, you're saying something real. Okay. But then, that I mean, wouldn't, but then you wouldn't forgive him everything else, which is what she's doing not, in this moment of honesty. Because she, kn- and also it, it's not a what, what is What is everything else as far as she knows? Well, she knows, the Gregster told her everything. No, the Gregster told her good things. 
before the Gregster, before, con- before Gregster contradicted the, le- the letter. The film, she arrives knowing everything about him because the Gregster but, told her. No, from no, no, not from the Gregster. No, not it's the from, Gregster. It's from um, it's from Cecile's mom. Yes. It's from Christine Baranski. So a, a mom at a mom in the in in the scene said these things, but a peer refuted them. So at least she's confused about that. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, we are moving <laughs> they on. They played Fat Boy Slim, and so the scene makes sense. Yep. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian kisses Annette and then tries to go farther, but she pushes him back, and Sebastian wants to know why they Second can't be together. Second attempted rape. Second attempted rape. That one I'm not... But, oh, my see, God. I actually don't really remember the scene too well. I think yeah, I, he kisses her by the tree. She's reading a book, oh, which yeah, shows yeah, she's yeah. smart. Sure. And she's well, reading a book by a everyone tree. Everyone knows that, yes. And he kisses her. Yes. And then he grabs her boob, and she pushes him away. And he says, why can't we be together? She tells him it's because she doesn't trust herself with uh-huh. him. Uh, then Sebastian confesses his love to her. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they try to have. She tries to have sex with him. All right, that's not really attempted rape. But we can keep going. No, no, no. This is a different scene. This is a later scene. Oh, okay. Later, she says, "I don't trust myself around you." Then they have a scene in her bedroom where she's basically saying, "Like, let's do it," and he rejects her because he loves her, and I guess he thinks that that's well. He doesn't want to turn her into the bed. Like that's a pretty typical kind of trope. Right. He already he's he's feeling guilty for the reasons he's there. Right. She's pissed. That doesn't last very long. Then Accounting Crow's colorblind comes in. We have the the escalator shot. Which is, I mean, you said it was creepy. It's the best. I didn't say it was creepy. No, no, Tom did. Okay. It's the best. That's that. Uh, and that line there is so good. When she goes, I'm impressed. And he goes, oh, I'm in love. That's a melter. What is she impressed by? He, he just, just fucking followed, followed her, and he just, just like decided to wait at the top of an escalator. For he tried to rape her, and then and now he's stalking her. I still don't know what the rape, where the attempted rape he is. He grabbed her boob and tried to like fuck her by the tree. Okay, but if she says no, and he go like this is a girl that he's already been intimate with, right? Uh, a hand touch, a hand touch is intimate enough that you think you can kiss, right? Okay. If you think you can kiss, you I mean, not you, in 2018, but think, maybe in 99. Yeah, it is. You're not working with her. If if you think you can kiss, you might think you can grab a boob. If she pushes it away and you don't go back for the boob, that is not an attempted rape. Back for the boob. The yeah. Kenny, the Kenny Nyberg yeah, story. Yeah, that's what consent is. That's what consent is. <laughs> she, she, she didn't consent, and then that's it. Yeah. Listen, I, all we're saying is that he pushed she, – she pushed back. He stopped. So be it. My, my, my point here is – I mean, we know this guy can rape if he wants to rape. So, <laughs> wow. That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway know, movie i love to just say he hey so if he wanted okay. a raper he would have raped her so doesn't yeah. make him a bad oh yeah yeah ernie can you cut this out just kidding he's not even no, he's not here <laughs> we're, we're literally recording this blind now um so we better be nice my point that i wanted to make here is that we're talking about probably no more than seven or ten minutes of screen time and we have so much condensed shit that's happening massive turns in their relationship and without the time to buy this relationship, these turns are, are hairpin turns that are tough to buy. You've got him trying to fuck her. She says no. He says, okay. She says, oh, but I do want to have sex. He says, no. 
he goes to the escalator. She says, yeah, like, it's just, it, it's, it ping pongs mm-hmm. and it yo-yos. You're not wrong. It's tough. I've chosen to buy this. I know. But I do think that it is a choice. Then they, and I think then a lot of it, and, and a lot of it is muscle memory. And then there's another beat where he gets angry and tells him to get it together and goes back to it being about the bet. Yep. And that's yep. a move mm-hmm. that I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, he goes back to Catherine. I'm sorry, said again. He goes back to Catherine, and it's about be, it's about the bet again. Yeah. When he, yeah. When he yeah. gets angry with himself, he says, "Get it, get it together, you pussy." Yes, I think that's exactly right. I, 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 I think that's real. For the park, can you believe it? Wait, I, what was the line? <laughs> sorry, you broke up there, Tom. Um, yeah, that get it together, you pussy. I think that's exactly what this. I think that essentially is is in a, in a in a single line of dialogue. This character's inner conflict is he going is he is he going is he going to let himself love this girl, or is he or is he going to continue down this path of asshole sexual manipulative person for the express purpose of of reputation within his high school? I think that's it. And you don't think it's so, anything to do with um, with Catherine? With fucking Catherine? No, I don't. I don't think it has to do with 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 at that point. I don't think it has to do with fucking Catherine because he chooses not to. But I mean, th- that the prize aside, just winning over her. Yes, I think it has something to do with that too because she is representative of uh, the reputation makers. Right. So I think he. I think he's. Very cognizant of not looking weak in front of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I buy all of that. I mean, the machinations now get real. I mean, I, I would argue that this last it took me a lot to get to, to get what's going on. But I <laughs> this last 20, fifteen to twenty minutes of the film, it's 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 in a rush to get to it's the like end. It's like a drunk man's sprint to the finish. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's, but it that's, is all there. If, it's if, there. Yes. Uh, Sebastian catches Catherine with Ronald. She's ready to have sex with Sebastian now since he won the bet, but he doesn't want her anymore. Sebastian breaks up with Annette to protect his reputation after Catherine threatens him. Mm-hmm. Catherine flaunts her win over Sebastian since she made him break up with the one person he loved. I'm, I've been manipulating you this whole time. Okay. It's a bit of a buy, but Okay. I mean, we're supposed to believe that she... It's not really necessarily I've been manipulating you this whole time. It's always that you were a piece on this chessboard. It was, that's just what it comes to. I think that was, that's really what it comes to. But it feels like an audible, not a, a clean win, I guess, is the point okay. I'm trying to make. Like, I don't think that she knew that this was coming down the road. No, but I think... I think, I think she, she was quick I think on her feet. Very much. I think yeah. it was an audible. I think she is just trying to maximize her own enjoyment in Fair any enough. situation. Because this whole thing was based on... Both of these things were based on her enjoyment. I mean, I guess... I guess the Annette Conquest, not so much. But the uh, Cecile yeah. thing was just based on her getting what she wants. I agree with that. And then the Annette Conquest was just based on her destroying something beautiful. Right. Uh, Sebastian gives Annette this his- film a lot more if it was just about the sibling rivalry than reputation in the school. I, I, I agree that they-, they That's def- an interesting point. They do put- they really go all in on reputation. I think had it been more balanced, I don't think it would bump you as much, but I agree. They, they, that's probably, it's like a 70-30 when it should be a 50-50. And that's probably a vestige of the source material. I was going to um, say, I think that's an aspect that they could have done without. Because actually there are lots of nice references. And they're very good with um, surprisingly good at using the letters of the source material. 
for it being about letters. Uh, which I well, which because email I was just going to say for, <laughs> is for geeks and pedophiles. Geeks and pedophiles. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I also I mean yes I but also but I also want to say that uh, I think that if this film was made today. And I imagine at some point we will all see a remake of this film one way or another. in one way or another. Uh, technology could actually kind of ruin this movie. I, I think that part of what's interesting about this film is that it, it does exist in a little bit of an antiquated time from a technological perspective. Where they're choosing the letters, they're choosing books, they're choosing an antiquated form of, which is sort of a, it maybe it's a tip of the hat to the source material, but it's also... Journaling. You know, and also... Um, you know, there's that problem we have now as writers, which is why would you do per- scenes in person when you have cell phones? Yeah. Sebastian literally drives out to the to fucking Long Island at least twice, maybe three times, yeah. at least twice, yeah. just to talk to her, yeah. just to just to court her in person. Yeah, which um, would never happen today. No, you'd be courting her on on text. Skype or FaceTime. Yeah. Uh, speaking of journals, this is the moment when Sebastian gives Annette his journal showing that he doesn't care about his reputation anymore. Mm-hmm. Sebastian's journal, as we mentioned, is basically a burn book. Sebastian would also argue it's, it is that he doesn't care about his reputation. It's also, um, I need to show her everything. Yeah, I need to give her everything I have and basically purge myself of that. I'm going to start anew with this girl. Right. That's at least, I think, what his goal is. Right. So, it's emblematic of dropping that monster. Right. Persona. There was also a, a uh, line, Sebastian, a line yeah, sorry, from, uh, from Reese Witherspoon's mum that made me piss myself when he comes to the door <laughs> to give it and you hear her off screen apologising to her guests and she says, you just never know who's going to show up at my door. <laughs> <laughs> now, my mum was in the exact same I, thing. I want the backstory. <laughs> you never I know. the backstory of who has shown up at her door in the past. Oh, that's so Seriously. Good. Uh, Sebastian and Ronald get in a fight out in the streets that Annette tries to break up and falls into the street. Sebastian throws himself in front of a cab to save her life and dies. That's yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, Sebastian spends that night sitting in the park across from the apartment. Um, yeah, he really, I, and I, I was always trying to figure out kind of the, the timing of that, but I, I think it really works. I mean, just the lo- the love sickness of it. Look, I'm obviously a fool for this movie, but the love sickness of that moment really works. And he says some stuff, and that's just that's just romantic, without context. Like, I'm a wreck without you. Um, I think a lot of people would love to hear that from yeah, someone else. That's true. I mean, it's it's. Listen, it's a. I, I I wish that they made a bigger deal out of Sebastian's death. I feel like he doesn't really get the big death scene. He just kind of just. No, it is kind of a surprise when they cut directly to you're just like, his picture in the funeral. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little jarring. They really could have milked it for more. Uh, and then we've spoken of the, the needle drop and uh, everyone shaking their heads and slowly shaking their heads at Catherine. The two, the, the two extras shaking their heads is so good. It's so I mean, like the two, the two redheaded extras. Yeah, he's in tears. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. It's um, funny because you know yeah. they're going to do the 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 pilot remake, and she's the Sarah Michelle Geller and Catherine plays. She plays an adult, and all I was thinking was. Well, she, she has, has to have gotten her reputation back at some point in order for this movie to work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the show doesn't work if she's it a pariah. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, to Tom's point, 
it probably did work out okay for her. <laughs> um, so should we zero to 99 this? Since we're That's it. And, uh, two hours did, and 23 minutes. I did know, we did know it would go long. I mean, but can I just I'm very, so happy I just that really this is not our last podcast on this. Sorry, go ahead, Tom. Quickly read some of the uh, stuff because I screen grabbed the journal. Uh, you also need to send me the pictures of the screen grabs so we can post those on our oh, Twitter sure. website. Okay, it's quite difficult to read. Uh, I'll, I won't do all of it. Uh, there has never been a single person in human something quite like Catherine, stunning to look at and exciting to be near, cold as ice. <laughs> that sounds like my that sounds like my character descriptions. <laughs> Catherine, 17, stunning to be near. It's And it's ridiculous and doesn't... I know it's not something that's meant to be grabbed and read, but it tells us nothing. Um, What's interesting (laughs) is when they go to the page about Reese Witherspoon's character, uh, I wrote down a bit of it at the very bottom. He says uh, about it being a bet and she's pure and everything. It began with my regular perverse perusal of porno mags at the newsstand when something (laughs) caught my eye. A cover of Seventeen, one of my personal favourites, promised a pious article about one special girl's decision to abstain. That's... Uh, Odd in terms of the fact that it doesn't doesn't sound like him. Like, one sounds like... They sound like two different... It's amazing. I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I do love it. I love that. I love that some some production design or some maybe even prop master assistant was tasked with building this burn book and probably just wrote out their most flowery prose they could think of. Um, I I think the burn book. I'll make one last point about the burn book. Okay. If it were just words on a page, you'd never even remember it. This idea of the cutout eyes. The pictures in the middle, the big declarations. It's it's so. I mean, it's really just embarrassing. I love this movie it's so much. I love. what? <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing if you care that much. But if you just want, if you just want the good stuff, it does that over and over again. Like that line I was just talking about. I'm a wreck without you. Okay, that's in most movies that's subtext. In this movie, it's text. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, in fact, I love it. I love how I love how uh, on the nose so much of this movie is, um, and it's part of part of the reason I think I could watch it over and over and over again. So <laughs> we're gonna zero to ninety nine this time. Oh God! Uh, you you know how this goes, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what uh, what would you give this on a zero to ninety nine scale in nineteen ninety nine? Uh, everyone loved it. I was, it was there. The soundtrack was great. I can't give it more than 50. I couldn't at the time, mainly because I'd never seen it all the way through. It was just an exist. It just existed. Uh, you said you, you couldn't give it a ranking? You wouldn't give it a grade? I, I couldn't. I, okay. I, no, 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 so, no. I couldn't give it above 50. Is what I was saying. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, uh, so I'm going to say, and then I'm going to say, 1999. It was a 45. I didn't hate it. What would you give it before this podcast? Like 20 for the soundtrack, if that. Whoa. Wow. Uh, I, I got so now 
post podcast. You did it, Kenny. <laughs> well, if it was twenty, <laughs> no, I'd go. I'd go up into the forties again uh, for completely different reasons than before. Like I, yeah. there are bits of it that I truly, truly loathe and find repulsive. We haven't even got into the racism of it or the homophobia and whether you know who is it really for. The the homophobia is significantly worse than the racism because the racism uh, was carried out by de- despicable characters. But the homophobia but was brilliantly, and she gets no comeuppance. But brilliantly done. It was yes. she was too good. She was too like I enjoyed her. Uh, Christine Baranski. Yes, and then she was incredibly She's always racist, great. and she gets no comeuppance. Homophobia was uh, very much of the moment where the f word is thrown around. And where being gay was something you're supposed to hide. And if you got found out, it would be the end of your life. That's bad, but that's bad across I'd, the board. I'd give it this, this, the same out of 99 as I did in 99, but for different reasons. 45? Well done, so you, you, would, you, did it. you wouldn't recommend... I, you got, wouldn't, I got him up to 45. That's, you wouldn't recommend not the 20, That's not the 20-point jump I was hoping for, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, I'll go next. Yeah. Kenny's just going to give this like fucking 95s pretty, across the board. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> you pretty much got it. <laughs> so I would say that in 99, I quite enjoyed this film for completely different reasons. Um, but I'd say in 99, I probably gave it a 70, maybe a 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this podcast, I'd probably give it a... I'd probably still give it a 75. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that... I'm not sure that it's been pushed one way or the other. I think I'm still kind of in that range for me. I I really enjoy it. I'm not sure that I think it's the brilliant movie that a lot of people do. Obviously, you being one of them. But I would just say that I enjoy it for what it is. I turn a blind eye to some really repellent stuff because I think the film is aware of itself. And it's trying to be deplorable. But I also don't... Portray necess- deplorable characters. Yes. Uh, but I'm also not sure that that works... In 2018. So my ranking, <laughs> um, if I'm being honest, yeah, uh, I put this as an honorable mention for my top ten. You did this year uh, partially as a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie I love, but it's also a movie that I wanted to be a little provocative with its inclusion because it is. Uh, I, I, I did have kind of the mental memory that it's a. Uh, that I, I love it, but I always felt like it was a lightweight, kind of silly, kind of stupid movie. Mm-hmm. So my memory was not that high. Right. Uh, my number, my 99 number was not that high. 82, 83, something like that. Okay. Um, it's much higher now. I really do. I do. I really do absolutely love it. And so is it, you think it'll be in your top 10 now when, when everything I think it's possible. Up? I think when we do our awards, I think we'll have some award people there. Um, Best case. But but I'll say one thing. I'll say one thing. Uh, Ninety five was my my ranking before I walked in. Okay. Um, number one reason it's so high. I watched it twice without looking at my phone. I love this movie. Right. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, this conversation was not the best. Um, not the best for my feelings about this movie. Um, and I and I would be remiss if I didn't follow my heart and drop it a little bit after this conversation. So I am going to drop it, and I'm actually going to drop it 
below even a 90, which I can't really? believe. I'm surprised by that, too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it at an 89. I do love this movie. I did not love defending it. And I think that matters. <laughs> so a personal victory for Tom Meitz. There are well, I mean, Phil, I think you know there. I I love defending movies that I, I love, do. and I love filleting movies that I hate. And I'm o- very open to, to changing my mind, as I've done many times on this podcast. But um, but this was a little harder, more more difficult to defend than I thought it would be. And I'm actually Tom. I'm quite happy that we had someone who had it under fifty. To bring me down a little bit, because I don't know how I don't know how proud of myself I'd be at the end of this year throwing cruel intentions above, say, a Matrix, or above, say, an Eyes Wide Shut, an Eyes Wide Shut, or even a Drop Dead Gorgeous, which I actually think is a better movie than this. It's really interesting that you should bring that up because about halfway through this, because when it started, I was like, oh boy. This is going to be because I know how much you love this movie, Kenny. And I do do love it. And 89 is a very strong grade for me. But I want to say this. I think, and we've had this conversation before about how we need to have people on here that aren't just going to fawn all over movies, right? Mm -hmm. And I can say, truly, Tom, one of the reasons I wanted you on for this episode was because I knew that you were going to have an interesting perspective on this film, which is, is... a interesting movie and i i guarantee you i can tell you 20 different people were like i want cruel intentions and i didn't want to bring somebody on here that was just going to say how wonderful it was because that's kenny in this equation well that so I, also that's kind of the uh that's kind of the party line these days and, and right I, and i think it's uh, we stumbled into this a little bit or i did at least tom but I think it's important to present the contrarian viewpoint, and we generally do, and that's why our opinions on these movies change so often. Not anywhere but here in Jawbreaker and yours on Drop Dead Gorgeous, and a lot of these movies, because we have brought people on who have contrarian viewpoints. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a long way of saying, first of all, this was awesome, and you obviously need to come back for a movie that you actually like. That I love and Penny hates. <laughs> yes, movie yeah. you love and Kenny hates. Oh man, I can't Perfect. wait. Um, so next week we actually have Roger Cumble coming on to talk about this movie. It's going to be a bonus episode. It's going to drop on Friday. Um, yeah. Really excited to have the director of this brilliant film <laughs> that you've listened to two and a half hours of us uh, dissect on this podcast. So um, and then next week. We have Susanna Fogel, another on. brilliant director. Another brilliant director. Uh, she is coming on. She directed um, the Spy Who Dumped Me, which is coming out very soon. Can you believe that? I think it's probably coming we have out like the weekend. We have a huge contemporary. We have like someone that actually makes sense with what we're doing. Yeah, uh, she's going to come on. She's going to talk about Arlington Road, uh, a interesting movie to watch now in a in a post nine eleven universe for sure. So I can't wait for that movie. The, that, that, that movie is one of the gems of 1999 in that um, it's such a 90s movie. Yeah. It it was kind of on that cuspy end of The Usual Suspects and end of, you know, uh, seven type run of yeah. those kind of twisty ending movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's also, I mean, it was uh, Aaron Kruger, I Aaron believe. Aaron Kruger. Was, that was like his, his sort of 
his first big movie. And I'll check this out so. before the podcast, but um, I do believe it was a Nichols Fellowship winning screenplay. I believe so that's true too. That's a very unique so thing to actually happen in the world to have <laughs> a Nichols Fellowship winning screenplay yeah. become a big budget Hollywood it's movie. True. So that's very cool. It's absolutely true. Uh, Suzanne is great. She's got that movie coming out. She obviously has done a bunch of TV. Um, and she's awesome and she's going to be great. And I can't wait to, to talk about Arlington Road with her. All right. Tune in on Friday for Roger Cumble. Tune in yep. next week for Susanna Fogel. For Arlington Road, I'm at PM Iscove on Twitter. We're at uh, Podcast Like 1999. Kenny's at Nybart. Please rate, review, subscribe. Tune in uh, for Roger Cumble and then uh, Susanna Fogel on Arlington Road. Thanks. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.